2: Hello and welcome to Cinematic Universe, the podcast that you wouldn't like if we were angry. I'm your host, Joe Cunningham, and joining me are...
3: James Hunt.
4: And Andrew Ellard.
2: Andrew, thank you for joining us. Thank you for for rejoining us.
4: Not at all. Third time's the... third time. It's just the third time.
2: (laughs) So, (laughs) previously, uh, Batman forever
3: was it batman
4: forever and kingsman
2: yes of
3: course kingsman which brings
4: back traumatic memories
3: (laughs) i've never seen it and hope to keep it that way
2: i saw that the sequel had popped up on streaming recently and i was i I was tempted because i haven't seen it but i wasn't tempted enough to actually do it
4: yeah james they're gonna keep making them until you see one it's kind of (laughs) a threat now
2: you're gonna make the king's man
3: the king's (sighs) man exactly (laughs)
2: Um, so yeah, today we will be discussing Ang Lee's 2003 movie Hulk. Um, but before that, as we are doing at the start of these episodes, um, at the moment, um, Andrew, you, uh, you obviously knew Seb and we would like to, you know, take a bit of time to, uh, to talk about Seb and, uh, the relationship you had with him, because I I know that you... Uh, the pair of you, I think it's fair to say, were equally fond of each other. I hope, I hope so. I never get to ask him now, which seems preposterous. <laughs> Is that that's
4: that's the thing that makes I um, feel so that's so unreasonable because you. I mean, I, I remember James, you were saying on the on the podcast before about his worry about whether people were enjoying what he was doing, and yeah. and and I think we all have that. Like that seems common. Um, and I, I kind of figured, like, well, the way we were getting on, surely we were fine. Um, but you, you never get to ask the question, and then you, in retrospect, you are just like, oh, I could have just said, it. I've spent, I can't tell you, so much time in DMs in the last few weeks telling people how brilliant I think they are, <laughs> very <laughs> deliberately and specifically, because they need to bloody know. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's that's good. Like, I feel like that's good. That's a positive influ- influence um it's a it's a it's a very funny thing Seb was Seb was at my wedding and Seb was um part of the El Doki karaoke group <laughs> um that was a a small band of us a very small band of us kind of at most there were 10 people in it but not usually all at once who would go to do um it was Lucky Voice in Soho the booth karaoke where you hire the room yes. and I mean Seb was a uh, a, a tyrant <laughs>
2: in the best possible. <laughs> like he was, he was running the playlist order, and you this might is as well... one one of the things that I didn't know about Seb, so unfortunately after he passed. But seeing that video of him performing karaoke, that I think
3: um, <laughs> I was about to say, friend um, Simon Renshaw circus. shared. Yeah. Oh man, there's a video yeah. on YouTube of Seb doing uh, National Express.
4: National Express. Yeah. Oh, it's at, such at a staple of his.
3: Which was, I mean, do you know about Karaoke Circus, Andrew? It was yeah, I like, I've, I've yeah. performed,
4: I did meatloaf at Karaoke Circus. Oh, wow. So,
3: so, for anyone who doesn't know, it was like a comedy night thing in London where comedians and members of the public used to alternate doing karaoke with a full band. It's and amazing. It's a
4: great night.
3: One of the, yeah, I really miss it. <laughs> but one of the, um, one of the months it was held at a. Place called Ginglick, which was a converted public lav- lavatory in Shepherd's Bush. <laughs> um, and Seb did National Express, and I can't remember if he was before or immediately after Tim Minchin. but oh He, he shared the stage with Tim Minchin doing the Supernaturals. It was such a great it's night. It's so on YouTube. If good. you want to go find it.
2: And I think, I think you know, talking about one of those effects, Andrew. I, I'm always the kind of person who. Like last time I was in a bar and someone said to me, Are you gonna get up and do the karaoke? I was like Hell no. Uh-huh. <laughs> like as well and even in the back of my head going, It probably would be fun if you get over the initial and I'm just like no. And I I I, I can promise to myself that next time I'm in that situation I'll be doing it. Grasp
4: the nettle, man. You gotta you gotta do it. <laughs> I I did a um I'm sure everybody was doing this, but I did a search of Twitter for like conversations I had with Seb because I've got like all the old DMs and emails and stuff. But the, funnily enough, a lot of his the, a lot of a lot of his interactions were held in public, um, and I so I went and had a look. And one of the things I found was him. Um, fantasy casting him and me for a remake of little shop of horrors (laughs) (laughs) so that so that he could be seymour and i could be the plant and we'd finally because again that was a karaoke staple of ours (laughs) and um and now they're talking about a remake oh god (laughs) it's 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 actually been spoken about and i i seem to remember my first thought wasn't oh for crying out loud (laughs) Like there was, was something I forget what the specifics of it were now, but I I seem to remember it was like oh that maybe that could be okay, <laughs> except it's going to be a CGI plant and I can't I can't oh. live with it not being a puppet.
2: <sighs> I had a similar experience, Andrew. I was uh, we were looking through this first batch of episodes that we're doing, um, mm. and there was what one of the one of the movies, and I was like, I wonder if there is anyone that is. Um, particularly passionate about this movie that we know uh it turned out that there was and that was good um you'll you'll likely hear that on an upcoming episode listeners uh but you know uh, unsurprisingly the person's name who popped up the most talking about this superhero movie was seb. um yeah. it was it, it, like it was a decade's worth of seb mentioning it every six months or so <laughs> um, uh,
5: <laughs>
2: and i just thought well oh, yeah uh, how you can't be surprised by that (laughs) no it's the
4: most extraordinary i mean it's the most extraordinary thing because you keep finding out that he was a he was into bill and ted so of course the guy who co-writes bill and ted likes him knows him and likes him and he does red dwarf stuff so of course the guy who's running red dwarf knows him and likes him it's this constant realization that everything he got enthusiastic about i'm just i i don't understand how the makers of the american office never got in touch <laughs> i was i i had one one of those podcasts left when he died and i i shored it up for a week or so before i listened to it and it's just i was i'm totally ready for the next episode of that desperately still... unreasonable of him to just pack in the podcast as well as dying
2: <laughs> i still don't I... I keep, I I keep thinking I would like to listen to, um, I probably listened to maybe like a half, two thirds of the episodes of this podcast that I I, I wasn't on. Um, and I still haven't quite been able to, uh, to, uh, to click those back on. And, and similarly, you know, I don't, I, 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 don't know about you guys, but like there are certain, there are certain pieces of pop culture, which I just know, um, you know, that I'm I'm not gonna be able to view through the same len- lens ever again. And yeah. There's a lot of them. And not and and not in a I, I'm sure eventually that will, you know, it won't be a negative thing. It will be it it will become a positive thing and and you know, a, a nice way to uh remember Seb and, and think about, you know, think back to the many, many things he will have said about them. But you know, Bill and Ted, Red Dwarf are absolutely some of those that you know, the, the Truman show and Yeah. <sighs> i mean well i i mean they're countless um fortunately uh we were talking about a movie today that um uh, the the reason i think one of the reasons it took us so long to get around to this is that um seb wasn't keen um and i think that, spoiler <laughs> spoiler alert james you're not massively keen either i am not um,
3: massively keen <laughs> so,
2: oh, so yeah, I think I think we're going to have an interesting discussion once we get to Hulk.
3: I'm I'm open to be convinced. I'll tell you that much. But
2: I'll t- I'll take that. I will take
4: that small <laughs> half-open door.
2: Gap. <laughs> right. I'm looking forward to it. So, um, is there anything else you want to say there, Andrew, or should we? Um... Uh,
4: no, not really. I will tell you actually, there's one thing that really irritates me, which is that he was talking about Seb was talking about Ghost World. Uh, he posted a photo of, of, of the two leads of Ghost World um, and said, name me a better comedy, I'll wait. And I sent him a picture of the two leads of Booksmart, <laughs> which in some ways is a bit of an ancestor of that movie. Um, yeah. And which I hadn't realised was a bit of an ancestor of that movie until that moment. And I sent it to him and loads of people clicked like on my reply. So I got this re- this response from him saying... Well, now I'm going to have to go and watch this just based on the likes.
5: <laughs> and uh,
4: I think that's probably a week before he died. And now
2: Olivia Wilde is in the running for a superhero movie. Uh, she, she has she signed on. We just don't know which one. I think the, it was a rumorous
3: well, Spider Woman, yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's but, right.
2: But I think certainly a a female focused Spider character. That's that's almost guaranteed. That the trades were reporting maybe Spider Woman, which makes you think they know it's right. Spider Woman. <laughs> so like that's right in the nexus
4: of a conversation we were due to have.
2: Yeah. Damn yeah. it. Yeah. I I just keep going back to it, not being fair. It's not fair. Yeah.
4: It? No. Oh, I spent the first fortnight just furious just actively yeah. angry the whole time because um, it's just it's an unreasonable piece of behavior by the universe but i mean i was uh, i can't remember i was watching the other night and the people were talking about you know the 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 work that you leave behind the art that you leave behind the things that you do what a body of work and it's a body of work about other people's work like it's yeah. not even look at me it's look at all this cool stuff yeah um god i mean if if any of us have a half decent legacy after and after all of this <laughs> nonsense life that we have lived um you you couldn't do
2: much better I, I just just talking passionately about such an array of different things as if no one's listening and and not really caring whether they are just because i th- i think seb would you know be delighted to know that he had t- tweeted about something that then someone went off and went. Oh yeah, I then watched that, and that was amazing. But I think it would be enough for him for just to put those vibes out, out into Absolutely. the universe. You know, you know, it's such a it's such a thing of
4: because so many people now they make a YouTube channel or whatever, and it's done with calculation. It's like I know I need to find a niche in the market for this to be worth doing because I need the advertising revenue from it. And bum bum, bum, bum. and it's totally reasonable to find a business model if that's if that's your your thing. But what he, his was, I like this stuff. There must be other people out there who like this stuff. Well, let's just make, keep making the podcast. Let's keep talking about the American office until people find me. <laughs> and that was enough.
2: And listen, Andrew, the SEO has been telling us that we, we need to get after Ang Lee's 2003 movie Hulk for, for a while now. And that's <laughs> you know, a, a calculation that we felt we had to make. <laughs> uh,
3: oh, I'm going to yeah, disappoint everybody it's been on our list for a long time but yeah we guys
4: i've been on the end of the phone i've been available <laughs> if you if you're looking for an advocate for the movie i'm right here oh no spoilers but yeah anyway.
2: <laughs> i definitely i um i advocated talking about this movie on the podcast a number of times and tried to put it onto the schedule back in the very early days and it was just like no look there's so many more things we can get to before that <laughs> Right and 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 we've got here and I think I, I had actually uh, I'd never watched it and when we started doing the podcast I was like I'm gonna wait to watch that until we oh. do it uh, so I've I've <laughs> it's only been watched five it five six the, years yeah genuinely and I like I I bought the DVD in preparation so the DVD has been sat in my cupboard for a few years as well oh my and god a, and and I I've actively restrained myself um and and yeah finally in the in the last. Well, I I watched it a few weeks ago and then um, popped on the Ang Lee commentary in the last couple of days just to refresh myself. Oh, marvellous. Okay, so what we are going to do now is have a quick chat about the uh, pop culture that we've been consuming in the last few weeks before we get to that whole discussion. Um, Andrew, do you want to go first? What's been pushing your pop culture buttons recently? do
4: you know what? I've had a very good couple of weeks with... Television that behaves
2: how television should behave. So, I've, I I've, and I, I've I, you know what? I think I know what you mean by that. Ah, well, we'll We'll find out.
4: Um, <laughs> but yeah, the so you, you may or may not be aware that I really didn't like like the Marvel Netflix shows um, <laughs> during the lab They, they are, well, I mean, get jackets made because it's it's so. It's so infuriating to sit and watch them not quite do anything for an hour and then throw in a cliffhanger to make you come uh. back. And it's not... People talk about it like, oh, it's a movie and it's chopped up into ten pieces. It's not a movie. I mean, no.
2: that, I mean, and, and think- they certainly weren't. Do you remember, no, Andrew? The, the worst offender for me of that was... I think it was an end of a season one episode of Luke Cage. And <laughs> he gets... He gets I think he gets shot up and yes. like pushed into the back of a, a garbage truck. He gets and then thrown the into stu- the back Yeah. And you're like, Oh, oh God, what's gonna happen? He's gonna get crushed at the start of the next episode, he just stands up and gets out of it. He literally the next episode he climbs out and walks away. <laughs>
3: the, I mean the worst thing about that as well is that the that episode then ends with the same cliffhanger of him getting oh. shot. Yes. <laughs> and it's just like we literally just saw it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter.
4: Very, very bad. I think the guy in charge of that Marvel TV stuff was in charge of Heroes, if
3: I got that right. And are you, um, you can... It was Jeff Loeb who was doing the Marvel TV stuff and yeah, he did work on Heroes.
4: Right. And you can see how there's sort of like an antecedent there for not quite handling this correctly.
3: Yeah, I mean, I really loved Daredevil and I liked the other Marvel shows to varying degrees but generally I found them a frustrating watching experience, that's for sure. Yeah. And so I mean, that's true of a lot of streaming things. It's true of Stranger Things as well.
4: Yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh, And there's a film Crit Hulk did an amazing piece on plot blocking in the first <laughs> series of, of Stranger Things, where literally they'll all head out to do something, have an argument and go home, so <laughs> that in the next episode they can head out and do the same thing again. <laughs> it's It's awful. And this is the thing. So the thing that's, bothering, that's bothered me for ages about streaming is this, oh, just keep doing one tone and we'll chop it into separate pieces and punt yeah. it out like it's a show because the job is to keep you watching. It's not to make separate individual crafted episodes of television. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that might be being pushed back against at last because I've seen three things in the last couple of weeks that have given me a lot of hope. Uh, And one of them is uh, Lovecraft Country, uh, which is just brilliantly episodic. Like, it's all interconnected and it's doing its own thing. And I think we're four episodes in. But every episode is its own little mini movie. That's one. Uh, And and and,
2: Andrew, I think it it bears mentioning that... um one of the stars of that, Jonathan Majors, has recently been announced uh, as yes. Kang in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> it all it all ties together. It, it all also, ties together. Also starring well. um, Jurnee Smollett from Birds of Prey.
4: Yes, it's a it's a really good cast. It's a really well made show. It knows exactly what it's saying. I I apologise for citing it on this podcast, but it has got a relationship to the Watchmen show that happened. <laughs> um, in terms of things that it's dealing with and dealing with impressively. Um, so that's going on. And then completely separately and very differently, but not really, Cobra Kai is on Netflix now. Yeah. The I spin-off... saw
3: it had come to Netflix. It used to be on YouTube Red, didn't it? That's right. Yes. So
4: the spinoff from The Karate Kid, and they are nailing it. It's the most extraordinary thing, not only from a, uh, oh, it's actually proper episodes of television point of view, where it's an ongoing story, but each one has a moment that will either make you punch the air or cry. Like, every episode, they're finding (laughs) one. But on top of all of that, it's it's threading this incredible needle with the tone of the show, where it's definitely a bit of a parody, but it's not so much of a parody that you don't take the emotions and the
2: characters seriously. It's... I want to I want to spin off on t- two things of that, Andrew. Because uh, how far are you in? Because uh, we've just finished the first season. Uh, yeah, Cobra came halfway through season two. Right. Okay. So I think a it is fascinating that this has happened again with a TV show that has been out in the world for literally years. Yeah. And it is showing up on Netflix, which which should just tell you well, it should should tell a lot of a lot of content producers that. The accessibility of something is super important. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, and just get it in front of people. Get get good storytelling in front of people. And, you know, the sky's the limit.
4: Yeah. I um, mean, that's
3: the problem, isn't it? It was on YouTube Red. And who is subscribing to YouTube Red? Absolutely. Absolutely. No. No one.
4: It's it's funny because YouTube feels ubiquitous. You can feel like when you say, oh, yeah, I literally go to at least one YouTube video every single day. (laughs) And that's true. But you don't hand Google your credit card number
2: when you do it. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) It's it's interesting, is it? Because I would have. And, you know, what? I, I remember when it first debuted on YouTube Red and hearing good things about it. I seem to remember Alan Sepinwall tweeting about it and, and going, yeah, oh, that's interesting. I wonder if I'll get around to it.
3: Yeah, YouTube- my brother no. really sold it to me as well. Like, he loved The Karate Kid and he was going like, yeah, it's great. It's really good. But I I didn't watch it because it was on YouTube Red. Yeah, no, of course
2: not. <laughs> and then the other thing I wanted to ask you. Um, I was stunned from the first episode by quite how quietly great a performance William Zabka was giving Absolutely. as as Johnny Lawrence who is, I, I just, I, I just, I love that performance. Um, I love everything about it. Um, is it that Ralph Macchio is just bad by comparison or is he just bad? Cause... Oh,
4: I mean, look, he's a, he's a child actor who's, who's making the best of the ability that he had. There are some people who, you know, they hit the right age for performances that the audiences find credible, truthful, believable that they invest in and then they age out of it like it's 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 like how you know hard it is to find a de niro performance that isn't a bit of a joke now
3: (laughs) he macaulay culkin himself
4: well yeah you know and it's if you're lucky your good ages are 25 to 55 um (laughs) but for some people it's it's a very brief like nobody thinks hayley joel osmond the adult is a terrific actor and when he turns up in cameos and does little performances in things, it's, fun. it's. I mean, it's fine, but for some reason, he was a super believable child.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and that's I, just. I the will way just it say, Andrew, I just want to speak up briefly for Robert De Niro in The Intern.
5: Okay,
2: I I, th- I think he's I think he's quite good in The Intern. <laughs> that's right. that's the only one wow. I can think of recently. I mean, obviously The Irishman, but The oh, Irishman. I, yeah. It's. I don't know. It's a. Uh, it's not it's an old man
4: it's worth it's worth also saying though that de Niro on his best day uh anybody on their best day could not be ralph macchio in front of a camera right now like you to be the karate kid you have to have you have to feel like oh that's the kid from the karate kid only old and with his face slightly lifted <laughs> like there is a there is Oh nobody else can do that. And I th- I think there's there's a strange value even in that you know? Oh no,
2: there there is. It's not it's not something that breaks the show by any means. Oh no. And I and, and I don't watch the scenes with him in and go, Jesus Christ, what this is this is unwatchable. I just I'm just I d I do you know, what, I think it oddly works in the show's favour that early on you're like Maybe Johnny was the hero. I don't know if you <laughs> yeah. ever watched How I Met Your Mother, Andrew. There was, I'm um,
4: aware of the episode, yeah.
2: Yeah, there's like kind of a mini arc, I think, over a few episodes where Barney, who his whole shtick is he's the worst, basically, um, is watched the Karate Kid as a kid and was just convinced that Johnny Lawrence was the hero and doesn't understand anyone that could read it the other way. <laughs> and the fact that there is a there's, there's an episode early on where Johnny retells the events of the Karate Kid yes. from his perspective, and you're sat there going, uh, he he hasn't told a lie. <laughs> it's so good that that show is such a
4: good constant exercise in perspective, and like. Yeah to 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 clarify because in the 80s you know you it's the kind of movie where there are villains and straightforward good guys but actually to go yeah but to end up a villain you probably were a good guy who joined a karate club and yeah. then things turned
2: bad yeah so that's that's we've got lovecraft country we've got cobra kai
4: oh and the third one and i know how ridiculous this is going to sound but the babysitters club
2: <laughs> I've I've heard good things about the, the, the what the reboots of the Babysitters yes. Club, right?
4: It's you have heard correctly. Now I have no cultural connection to the Babysitters Club. My wife's American and is like, oh my god, it's just like the books. Like she's <laughs> very excited that this thing is back and doing it right. She's even happy that the logo of the show is correct. <laughs> but again, in terms of doing it's a lot like Cobra Kai in that it seems to manage to do a big laugh and a big gut-wrenching thing with every episode in a completely tied up and clean bit of storytelling and i know it's not for me i'm really aware that this is not television geared towards me specifically um but nonetheless it's working really well
2: that's that's good though that's pro- that is the mark of well made tv right if if it's not really your thing but you can you kind of find yourself watching anyway and you're there <laughs> that's anyway watch yeah Riverdale. <laughs> ah,
3: which is good because you don't you get like four movies worth of content in every episode.
4: That's a, that's all you want, isn't it? I said on Twitter the other day. It's it's the the nature of streaming shows is to hand you a very big steak and to keep make you chewing that steak episode after episode with exactly the same flavour. And what <laughs> what you want from television, the way box set culture grew up, was from. Okay, 24 and Prison Break, but also The West Wing. Like, a, a whole load of network shows where every episode was so satisfying, you immediately wanted another episode. Yeah, yeah. was it, it was... you who
3: made that point, actually, on Twitter? Yeah. yeah, saying that, like, we we didn't used to watch one story stretched across, you know, nope. 10 hours. We watched Friends, and we watched, like, 10 episodes of Friends.
2: Because you mean... that's a, but that's what I find curious, right, is that... Two of the most valuable shows to you know that the, the streaming services are bidding over furiously every time the contract comes up, yeah, are Friends and The American Office. Uh, yeah. And and you know, and and even stuff like um, Fraser and Seinfeld is still pretty valuable. Um, And you know, those are those are your prototypical sitcoms that yep. have that have discrete stories with. You know, maybe some overarching plot lines running through them over the course of a season. Yeah. Um. And and yet, it's not just a drama problem that the streaming services have had problems with. You know, they 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 turned a lot of their comedies into this as well. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely.
3: Can I just drag it around to comics, actually? Because oh, please. A, there was a similar thing, right? Which is that in the. In the mid-2000s, early mid-2000s, uh, Marvel especially decided that they were going to focus... Like, the big money for comics was actually on the sort of long tail of bookstore sales. So they decided that instead of doing a single-ish uh, story per issue, they were going to package storylines up into six-issue bunches Right. so that they could sell a, a book further down the line. And what it meant was, like, just this sort of radical change in the way that comic stories were told because suddenly you had this thing called decompression, which is that a story that would have previously taken an issue suddenly became more cinematic and a lot longer. Yeah. Um, And it it had exactly the same problems as you see in streaming now, which is that you would just be like, I read an issue. It took me 10 minutes to read, but nothing happened in it. I can't revisit (laughs) it. And like suddenly, long conversations that would have been three panels took six pages absolutely. because authors were like trying to trying to get you, you know, strung on the on the minute details, but but not I, giving you substance in return.
4: I'm absolutely convinced that eventually, that like one of the reasons the Netflix shows so often you know collapse after two seasons. It's it's that right? It's that you. I don't really mind if I have more. I don't really care because I haven't been. <laughs> I I get that you've got me on this clever little carrot in front of me treadmill where I keep p- tr- feeling like I am moving forwards mm-hmm. because you promise that you know this is mounting towards something and the cliffhangers prove it. Right? The cliffhangers at the end of one episode absolutely prove that you there is movement. But actually, no, they're cycling back mostly to the start. The The number of times in those Marvel shows where you ended up on the same three sets over and over and over again. And it's like, where's he gone? And it's like, well, he'll be on one of the two other sets that you have. <laughs> the, thing um, I,
3: the thing I always noticed on the Marvel shows was how often they got the villain and the hero together so that they could have a conversation and then leave without having like the, the fight they needed to have. So
4: that they can have a conversation. Right. is so exactly what it is
2: though yeah I, and i i always used to quite enjoy their practice of um of going here's the villain oh no that villain's gone here's the real villain oh, yeah. it's the it's, yeah. the
4: it's the it's it's kind of the same it's the same deal it's... as the first one that's the thing like there's a thing with in a uh, look putting my script editor hat on for a second because <laughs> why wouldn't i have brought that this with is, me this is
3: what i was hoping for
4: um if you get to a midpoint, the point of a midpoint isn't just to change so that things change. It's that they alter in a way that makes the situation even more interesting and dangerous than it was before. If you put one villain out and drop one new villain in, that nobody at home goes, ''Oh, things have really changed.'' it's like no casting has really changed the, <laughs> the thing that now happens is that they go home and say how are we going to deal with insert slightly different name
3: yeah
2: well andrew hopefully you're right hopefully it is starting to move back in the right direction i love that i found several back to back i that gives me such hope
3: <laughs>
2: james what what have you been uh reading watching listening to this week
3: I've just finished watching the whole of Steven Universe from start to finish.
2: So I'll, I'll be honest with you. I'm aware of Steven Universe without necessarily knowing exactly what it is.
3: <laughs> Ostensibly, it's a kid's cartoon. It is a kid's cartoon, but I would say all ages is fair. Um, it's all ages, but skews young. Let's say that. It's about a kid who is half human, half alien. And the aliens are represented by gems. And so he's living in a beach house the only half human half gem in the universe and he's got three gems who are refugees from an interstellar war and his dad and it's just about him growing up and you know the the legacy he has because it turns out his his gem was his mother's and she was the leader of this rebellion that happened in their society and that's why they're all exiled on earth and it's a really interesting exploration of like identity and trauma and it just its so clever with the way it tells these stories like in a way that works for kids but is also actually pretty like adult and and deals with real issues like there's a whole there's this thing they do which is called fusion right and fusion is two gems combining to make a different more superpowered gem Mm -hmm. but the way it's treated within the world of the show is it's kind of allegorical to sex and oh there's this whole thing where someone is tricking the other gem into fusing with them because they enjoy the feeling of like fusing into the super gem. Oh my God. And they have like a, an argument about like how, about consent, basically. It's about sexual wow. consent, but in a way that children can understand.
4: Oh, that's so
2: smart.
3: And as, that was the episode that made me go, oh, actually, this is more interesting than I realized.
2: Is it, is it James, is it um another show that I've not watched, but is it kind of similar in, in its approach to Adventure Time?
3: Uh, I've not watched Adventure Time.
2: Okay. <laughs> well, in in that, in that case, ignore that question. I believe
3: <laughs> I believe that Rebecca Sugar, who created Steven Universe, actually came up through Adventure Time.
2: Right. Okay.
4: Um, so see, there we go. There
3: it is was a relationship there.
2: Yeah. Oh, I need to give this a
4: look. I've been. I've been. Uh, yeah. It, this is ridiculous timing. I've been writing a science fiction kids TV show, um, <laughs> oh, <wow. laughs> which is my first go at kids TV. And it's okay. like, you really do have to calculate hard and be very smart about how you articulate things. And I may not be smart enough. We'll find out. Clearly I need to give this a look. This is exactly the kind of stuff I'm fascinated by. Yeah.
3: I mean, the thing I would say about Steven Universe is it, it has ten 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 minute episodes, and you start uh-huh. off thinking like, "Okay, this is it's fairly sort of kiddie," but they they build the lore over the course of like a season, and by season two, gotcha. everything is suddenly piecing together in a much bigger way. Um wow. it's really smart because it kind of ages up with its audience as well. Like the most recent series, oh, uh, like the sixth series, is was called Steven Universe Future, and it's basically 20 episodes about the main character having ptsd oh my god like it is so <laughs> like he's become a teenager and he just can't handle like everything that he's been through as a child like it's oh, it's super. such a such an interesting and unique show i've just never seen anything like it i would highly recommend that everyone watches it and sticks with it
2: and so it's is it six seasons in and still going or is it <clears throat> or
3: no or that it that's the end there are five seasons a movie and then the sixth season and that's that's it for now
4: Wait, they did 6 seasons in a movie. <laughs> oh. oh, how bright. How am I going to miss this? Okay.
2: <laughs> okay, so I would like to pivot um, to to have a quick chat about Adam Sandler. So, um, I, <laughs> I, don't don't I don't I don't know where you guys uh, what your kind of view is on Adam Sandler. I mean, I was literally um,
4: walking out of the door, so <laughs>
2: <laughs> So, um I kind of have like film projects on the go at any one time, uh, like a, a number of different ones where I'm like either working my way through a franchise or. Um, a particular I thought you were document.
4: about to say that you'd cast him in something.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes, he was yeah, available. He'll do anything and, these um, days. Yeah, so, so I've lured Sandler away from Netflix, and he's and he's starring in something for me. Um, no, so yeah, I, so I, I might be like watching a certain director's filmography hmm. or um, a particular actor, as is the case here, or um, I, I kind of have my larger projects where, like, over the course of a year, each year I try and watch a movie from. Uh, each year over the past hundred years because that's something that that, that <laughs> it, it kind of um, in the letterboxed age is possible to do and keep track of and it makes me happy but yeah so I've been re-watching Adam Sandler movies uh, kind of inspired by thinking he was incredible in Uncut Gems at yes. the end of last year and, um, and kind of being the right age when I was a teenager to grow up on the kind of first wave of Happy Madison movies um but not having watched them for a long time so my wife and i have watched uh, f- uh f- well so we've watched billy madison happy gilmore uh bulletproof the wedding singer the Waterboy, big daddy and little nicky so far so we're just watching adam sandler starring vehicles rather than <laughs> rather than his other stuff and it's fair to say that they're a real mixed bag uh but <laughs> <laughs> is, is that what's fair to say okay but and and also the the aspects of them have, as you could probably expect, aged particularly yeah. badly. Especially given that a lot of Sandler's early work was kind of... Um, he I think that the kindest way you could put it is that some of his characters appear to have learning difficulties or being on the verge of some kind of diagnosis. Um, <laughs> I love how reasonable you're being about all of this. Yeah. And, and 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 like particularly in in like i'm thinking of the waterboy and billy madison in particular and and little nicky as well um but i i just i kind of have a a weird respect for adam sandler's career uh, in spite of how many terrible, terrible movies he has made over the course of it, because I think there are gems, and you know, within that, I think there's some really great stuff in Billy Madison and in Happy Gilmore. I think he's really, really great in The Wedding Singer. Yes, um, and and kind of um, again, it's not it's not a fantastic movie start to finish, but I think he gives a pretty good performance in Big Daddy. Uh, that like I, I think a, a movie that if you remove a few of the happy madison ticks from could have been a real big huge kind of crossover success um but but again it it just hasn't aged particularly well um so that's but that's a problem but i i i kind of i love that he he knows that he has the capacity to give the kind of performances he does in the likes of punch drunk love and Mm -hmm. uncut gems um um and you know and and, yet and, refuses and, and, and <laughs> no and, but but kind of but kind of does every kind of uh, well f- funny people which is isn't, isn't it, i think is a very imperfect movie yeah. starring eric banner who we're about to talk a lot about um but i think he's pretty great in it and that is a movie that pretty much diagnoses the sandler career and goes C- like you're so so talented you're such a funny guy Why do you keep making this shit? (laughs) And he literally goes from funny people to making grown-ups just go with it, and then the Nadir, which is Jack and Jill. Which is... Jack and Jill is the movie that you could put in as one of the fake movies from funny people. (laughs) and and, And be like... (laughs) <laughs> what, like what, you you must be like you and your childhood friend Judd Apatow have uh, have just diagnosed your career and you've doubled down and done it again um and what J- I love is that we've got this we've got a comedic actor who is who is capable of giving these great dramatic performances who is clearly a talented comedian um and I think for a number of interesting reasons keeps 25 years into his career churning out comedy year in, year out. And I, comedy I, I have and, a weird com- Yeah, I was going to
3: say, comedy is a generous way of describing his most recent films.
2: <laughs> but, <laughs>
3: Joe, <laughs> but, but, right. I'll be honest.
4: <laughs> uh, what I was hoping for was that you were going to go, I've been through the man's entire body of work and here's the interesting thing. There is a shape to it. There is... Uh, a real genius. And here's the one film that nobody talks about that actually, if you look at it through the right lens, is the most extraordinary piece of work.
1: But the problem oh, is...
4: Sorry,
2: but I'm, I'm hoping I'm going to get to that shortly because <laughs> I, I, think, I think I know what that is. And if my memory serves me correct, it's you don't mess with the Zohan. So I, 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 w- I will make sure to report back. Okay, all right. <laughs> I mean, just, he's, I, right. He's, thi- he's pretty open, right? He makes movies in exotic places around the world because they're the places he would like to go on holiday. He goes on those holidays with all of his friends um, and kind of keeps his friends in work. And,
4: oh, yeah. And, that, that, it's like a charity. I see what you're saying. Yeah, well,
2: <laughs> <laughs> and I, I just, I kind of like that, that commitment to, I'm just going to keep doing this stuff because people keep watching it and I enjoy making them. And so
3: what you're saying is you respect the contempt he has for the people who have to then watch his like <laughs> extended jollies on screen.
2: But I also like that peppered in between those every few years you get an uncut gems yes. and you know you you get in, you get the Myrowitz stories. Uh you get it's not good but you get men, women and children. Um it's not good but you get the cobbler which you know the director of that wins best picture at the no, Oscars no, no. the year I, after
4: i kind of see what you're saying in that what, we, what he's essentially doing is th- doing a first draft over and over and over again but every so often <laughs> the fact that he's done so many rubbish first draft movies has polished him enough that he has the ability to do punch drug love uncut gems all things like wedding singer and even 50 first dates like the good stuff
2: but I also think that occasionally, and again, I will get to these when I revisit. I think occasionally those NAF comedies are better than the reputation they have because they now just get all grouped together. And there's a lot that I, I mean, I I watched Murder Mystery that was his big Netflix movie from last year. It's not good, but it was nowhere near as bad as its reputation. Right. Um, and I and I think as well that sometimes, or well, a lot of the times, he's giving good performances in movies that are that are that are otherwise would be solid comedies but have enough of that kind of happy Madison unpleasantness sprinkled through them that people just go, nope. So it'll be like, it'll be the end of a solid scene and then there'll be a cutaway to something naff and unpleasant and you just, you just go, eh, alright. And also he's made the Hotel Transylvania trilogy in the past decade which it, like, are as far as I'm concerned, really solid kids movies.
4: Uh, it's nice that because you don't have to do a lot of work to get those, that's just voice work. <laughs> I, is now, him
3: and all his mates? You, you don't no, that's get to true. go on holiday though
4: <laughs> that's true no there's no, yeah he roughed it for us he went to just a regular <laughs> studio near <Yeah>. his home <laughs> so think about that now i tell you what joe there's a there's a thing that um i think richard curtis said years ago about how there's no point him making rom-coms for the people who don't like richard curtis movies like, there's just no mm. point, because they're never going to like them. And that's fair enough. So he makes his movies for the kind of people who like the movies he makes. And that's what we're saying about Adam Sandler, right? Is because you exist, these movies exist. And the rest of us are just going to have to put up with that.
2: And I and I, and I genuinely don't think that Adam Sandler has a content for his audience. I think he still finds what he's doing funny.
4: Yes, i i I think you might be right. I think he might consider them comedies.
2: <laughs> and I also, I really like him on Twitter. He's got a really, he's got a really sweet Twitter persona. Oh, that helps.
4: That does help. So, Why does that was, help? It is true. That does help.
2: I, I just, I, it wasn't just uncut gems last year. It was uncut gems followed by his award speech. I think it was the Independent Spirit. <laughs> the
3: award speech was very good
2: which he did in the voice of um uh, Bobby Boucher from The Waterboy. <laughs> and then he had a really a really sweet tweet the day that he didn't get nominated for the Oscar for Uncut Gems, which honestly I think is criminal. He would have been my he would have been my winner last year. Um but he was like so The Sandman didn't get nominated. But Mama Boucher did because Kathy Bates had been nominated for oh. the, the, the Clint Eastwood movie. And he was like, and he was just delighted for Kathy Bates again 20 years after they made The Waterboy together. Oh. Which is sweet, right? Yeah. <laughs> I like Adam Sandler, is what I'm saying, in in, in spite of everything. And um, I mean, who knows how far down this rabbit hole I'll get because it. it it is going to get challenging
3: in fairness i did when i was a teenager and probably even now i really liked uh i liked billy madison happy gilmore and the wedding singer and then i felt like he did the faraday brothers thing of doing those things but more so to the point where it became really grating like i love dumb and dumber but every subsequent faraday brothers movie went oh, well, we've, we've guessed what you liked about those, so mm. here's more gross and extreme jokes. And it's like, no. I right, like gentle of, version of that.
2: Of course, James, that is the case until one of them went off and won
3: Best Picture at the Oscars. <laughs> Wait, well, was there, well, what was that?
2: Uh, Green Book. Green Book.
3: <laughs> was that one of them? Holy shit. Yeah. That's Peter Farrelly.
4: Wow. Well, that's why his yeah.
2: politics was so good. <laughs> <laughs> Do you know what I used to adore? this something about Mary when I was younger, yeah. and I am terrified of ever watching that again because <laughs> I just, I just know it's going to be one of those that I go. Oh, yeah. the thing I remember
3: is uh, me, myself, and Irene. Oh,
2: and so, that was when it tits. I think.
3: Yeah, that I remember watching that in the cinema, going like, I don't think this racism is as funny as you think it is. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Right on that note, I think we we've uh, we've done a good job about talking about the things we've been watching. Um, I, I, do you know what? I'm kind of happy I didn't fully win you round on Adam Sandler. It's 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 nice to be in this box on my own. <laughs> <laughs> I
4: I gotta say, I mean, I brought out the Baby Setters Club, and I thought I was reaching a bit. <laughs> and then you've got my, you've totally got me covered. Like I look reasonable in comparison.
2: <laughs> uh, you should see my wife's face after we're watching. So like she'll she'll turn to me after the wedding singer and go like, "Yeah, that was that was actually really good." And Big Daddy, she was like, "Yeah, it was it was fine." And then little Nikki ended, and she was like, "Why, <laughs> why?" I <laughs> oh, mean, I tell you what, she must love you a great deal. <laughs> Well, uh, the the next two we've got a double bill of Punch Drunk Love and Mr. Deeds. So, oh, let's... Well, there you go.
5: Okay, <laughs> that's.
2: Let's see how that holds up. The whiplash of that will be interesting if nothing. Else. Yes, yeah, as I can imagine, it was for cinema Sydney <laughs> <Absolutely>. Roddick's back in, <then. laughs> absolutely. And before we uh, move on to Hulk, Andrew, you um, you have a Kickstarter that we that we need to talk about.
4: Oh yes, so I I um. <sighs> I, I got very, very keen on doing something for me for once, or at least rather something for an audience that I I just put out there into the world in exactly the, the way we've sort of been talking about. Um, and so for years, for years, people have been asking me to explain why it is that I think it's reasonable to suggest that Quantum of Solace is anything other than a terrible film. Because <laughs> um, I, I, I see so much in that movie and... It's not that it has no fans, and there are plenty of fans, sort of, in, in James Bond fandom that get it. But I feel like there's a lot of texture to that movie and a lot of, of interesting things that that movie is saying and doing that people don't grapple with. And I started doing a set of tweet notes on the movie, thinking, good, this will explain my point. And I, I wanted to explain it really well, so I went and did screen grabs from the film. But after four scenes, I had hundreds of screen grabs. So apparently, I had more to say, <laughs> and Twitter was not going to be the medium for this. So I, I kind of grasped the nettle and went, right, I will do a video. And I tried a little experiment with it and uh, joined together this interesting thing that's going on in Quantum of Solace, where there's three different scenes where characters are dragged from car boots, and they... <laughs> They all kind of put, tell the communica- the key aspects of the story each time. And nobody seems to have noticed this. And that bit went down quite well on Twitter. So it's like, all right, well, then I'll go and get a proper editor to do this properly because I'm a terrible editor. Um, so Nathan Cubitt, who's been my, my editor on the Red Dwarf documentaries before he took over directing them... Um, is going to edit them, and we're going to get them made in time for No Time to Die coming out in cinemas, assuming No Time to Die comes out in (laughs) cinemas. Um, So the idea is to do Quantum of Solace, and then for the stretch goals, you can also get me to do the other Daniel Craig Bond movies. So we'll see how this goes, but I'm hoping people will be interested enough to to
2: pay for it to happen. I'll
3: tell you who will be interested enough, and that's Joe.
2: Yes. Andrew and I have uh well, I- I've tweeted out petty things about Quantum of Source before, which Andrew has challenged me on. Um oh, yes. and I haven't watched it for long enough uh that I could reasonably debate with Andrew. I just remember uh back at the time and I've probably only revisited it maybe once since then, um, finding it very subborn in its action and um just, for, just as someone who adored Casino Royale, feeling let down by the way that that story was 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 tied up and wrapped up in Quantum of Solace. But you know, I oh Joe, let me sell you I, on I it. Let me sell you on it. I desperately want to see this uh, rebuttal. <laughs>
4: It's, I, t- I promise it'll be worth it because it's not that I'm saying the movie's perfect and like you just have to ignore all the things that are wrong with it. And in fact, what's wrong with it is something I really want to talk about in the video. And in fact, it'll be true of I think all of them, because one of the things that happened with the Bonds was they went, let's get high caliber directors. And the thing with high caliber directors is they want to stamp their mm. their taste and tone all over the movie. And there comes a point where, instead of doing what the script wants, you're, you're like, fighting it. And when that works well, you get Skyfall. You get a movie that basically goes down really well because James Bond being a resurrected hero is quite a good theme. Yeah. Um, and when it goes badly, you have, I don't know, James Bond's got, like, a long-lost stepbrother and he's also the villain for some reason. <laughs> like, oh, and, God. oh, James, I was the author of All Your Pain. Yeah. Which, when? When? When does that fit into anything that we've seen? So, but there's a nice battle going on there, I think. And that makes the conversation about those movies interesting. And with Quantum of Solace, it's he's a bullet. I'm going to direct him like James Bond is a bullet charging towards stuff. And you go, okay, what's the story about? Oh, it's about how everyone mistakes him for a really angry bullet. But actually, he's completely hollowed out now. And he's all about duty. And he doesn't care about revenge at all. Wait a second, that style doesn't go with that story (laughs) (laughs) And at the crux of that Are two really interesting approaches to a Bond film That shouldn't necessarily go together But absolutely are worth talking
2: about Well, I look forward to it Listeners um, Definitely we'll tweet out the link With this episode um, And I highly encourage you to help make that happen Okay Guys, Hulk Look at you
1: off to college to be a great scientist like your father there's something inside you so special someday you're gonna share it with the whole world
0: let's hit the gamma radiation
6: countdown started
5: meds released
1: I
0: don't understand what I just saw. It's like a gamma released something that was already there. My son is unique, and the world will not tolerate his existence. What did you do to me? I improved on nature a million times more powerful. My.
5: everything we have to stop his movement
1: you will only fuel his rage and make him stronger
0: you know i never hurt you when you're left with no choice i'm sending her a surprise visit from some friends of mine when you're pushed too far you pathetic freak don't just get even you're making me angry get mad i don't think you're gonna like me when i'm angry yeah unleash the hero within from director ang lee we're gonna have to watch that
2: Hulk. Not the Hulk. Just Hulk.
3: Just Hulk. Just Hulk.
2: We go back to two thousand and three, uh, when the comic book movie Revival um had had just kind of just just kind of like fully announced itself, right? So we we've had X-Men and we've had Spider Man. And um <laughs> James Seamus tells a very funny story about how like he was uh, he walked out of Spider-Man um and rung up Ang Lee and said we're fucked <laughs> because because this genre has baggage now. It, it it has been like superhero is a genre now. Hmm. And and I and I I I hadn't really thought about it in those terms before, but of course we'd had superhero movies so much, but like I, I, maybe not superhero is a genre, but Marvel is a genre and suddenly, this Hulk movie that is telling well, well is is going about things. I think it's fair to say, and I think you will both agree with this, in a very different way to what we've certainly been accustomed to since with superhero cinema, but but definitely with X Men, Spider Man, you know, which are two movies that I like. But this is doing something very different, um, and. I, what we've got, and I, you know, I kind of would like to know your kind of overarching thoughts on the movie uh, before we get into it in detail. But what we've got is this very odd little curio of a superhero movie that I feel like doesn't really get talked about much anymore. But after watching it, I feel like it should. Gone, James.
3: <laughs> uh, so. My main... The, okay, I'll start with the stuff I like about the movie, right? And that is that it is very respectful of the character. And it reminds me quite a lot of Batman Begins in that Ang Lee looked at this and went, okay, so if this was real, how would it happen? And how would it work? And I got, a f- I got some shades of, like, the early Superman movies where they were, uh, like... Especially the first one where it does, like, the life story aspect.
5: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, so I can see... I can see what Ang Lee was going for. And clearly he had a visual style in mind and, you know, I appreciate that. Um, my problem is the whole film itself is just so, so dull. Like, oh. it, I just sit there like bored out of my skull going, when is any <laughs> of this going to make sense? Or when are things going to happen?
2: So I, I think I, I what I can probably do is provide the bridge from (laughs) james's opinion through to andrews um i kind of think that this is a fascinating approach to telling this story um that that i think i find much more interesting than i actually find entertaining while i'm watching it um (laughs) i i i I love angley's approach to the filmmaking i love the you know, the attempt at every second to make it feel like a comic book. Um this movie should have been nominated for best editing because some of those transitions are oh. just gorgeous. Um okay. and and I, I for me it's it is the it's the psychological Batman begins. It's Batman Begins, mm-hmm. but what what if all of it is just focusing on how did well also Bruce, how did Bruce feel in Crime Alley? and yeah uh, just
4: doing his trauma for an entire two
2: hours yeah (laughs) and so and so it's it's a movie that it's a movie that goes okay we want to tell the story of the hulk um so what yeah what what would what would drive someone to you know aside from the comic book stuff where someone's like rage and inner turmoil manifest itself in a big green monster um, yeah. and then and then attaches that to a Hulk origin story and figures it out that way um, I, where I think that that it doesn't ultimately come together as kind of like an entertaining piece of blockbuster filmmaking is that a the technology is not quite there in 2003 to do the Hulk properly um, although, not that i think he not that i think he looks bad i just think that it's it's not quite there um and i think and the, I yet think the, the
4: th- reviews at the time were very oh my god this is a yeah. step up again <laughs> like we were what were we Gollum and stuff i think
2: yes i mean i i don't think this i don't think this is anywhere near Gollum. i don't know i, I don't know what you think
4: um I don't but I also but I was fascinated by like I, the empire review at the time was like yeah this is the next step forward for digital characters like there yeah. was no oof we're not really there yet are we we can't do this yet that wasn't the the prevailing opinion
2: yeah and and, and do you know what I think like the physics of the character work I think the mm. um I think he does ultimately end up looking a bit too plastic, and uh, but like the yeah. the visits of the character, the the movement, you know, everyone will have seen the the kind of the viral content of Ang Lee performing the you <laughs> know, the kind of the, the the onset Hulk, which is you know fascinating to watch to know that this is how because invent- I think a lot for a lot of people they kind of go like oh that's Ang Lee's kind of like sell-out movie that he mm. made for the studios and it's just it's just really not that thing is it no but, it's patently not that but then yeah i i come back to the surface of it being i think whenever the movie is indoors it looks really dull um and 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 i more mean like the the sets i just find a little bit draining like the artificial houses and the and the labs i just don't find them a, a hugely fun place to spend a movie, and, and then, the characters
3: though, like just all. Well, of it. not,
2: <laughs> <laughs> and then and then not the characters, but for me, Eric Banner's performance, and I'm gonna let Andrew go in a second. And then the third thing is um, the dogs. So Andrew,
5: <laughs> <go>.
2: <laughs> hey, you came after
4: the dogs, hulk hounds. Oh God, I love those dogs. <laughs> Um, right. Well, the dogs are from the comics, right? That is a thing. But
3: it, uh, heh, mm. Are they, though? Aren't, aren't they, though?
4: I'll be honest. I only looked at Wikipedia. There were
3: hulking dogs, but I think they turn up after the movie.
4: Oh, interesting. Oh, that's interesting because one of the writers g- gives an interview where he says, oh, this writer added the, the dogs, but he took those from the comics. Um, there is
3: a real tendency to blame anything shitty on comics, and I, I often <laughs> resent it. I'm not, well, why i can't would not need to
4: do that for this excellent movie
3: <laughs> i can't be i can't be certain whether they turned up in the comics or not before the um movie okay. but certainly they're not fair, using like, this way it was
4: in the comics is not a good argument for a thing being good or bad no, anyway. right serious
2: no, serious the gamma dog uh, appeared in a 1984 he's sorry he's a, <laughs> a very minor hulk character who appeared in the 1984 storyline <laughs> i mean so i, I went he did but... just as
3: a quick tangent i once uh i came out of league of extraordinary gentlemen and someone went well you can't blame the story story for being stupid because it was adapted from a comic and i just wanted to throttle Oof. that person
5: no that's
4: reasonable <laughs> that's entirely reasonable. <laughs> nobody would have nobody would have uh, prosecuted you for that <laughs> Yeah. No, look, I, I, te- I do, I like the dogs I think the dogs represent a, a manner of think through which is it makes complete sense that this science obsessed father gets hold of um, finds out his son is becoming this thing and says oh that's kind of what I've been working towards in the first place, I mean not really but it's mad enough <laughs> and brilliant enough and tries to get hold of it and tests on whatever he can get hold of which of course is a few stray dogs which he's been keeping and feeding, and you know, and because he has no particular interest in ethics or anybody being okay, uh, of course he tests on animals and doesn't think twice about how uh, awful what he's done to those dogs is.
2: You see, I think it tracks. And when when you were there, when you were saying, then I like the dogs because they represent. I was thinking that's what I feel like most of this movie. I like this because of it. What what it represents. But then I do have to watch five to ten minutes of the Hulk fighting dogs. (laughs) If it's three, I'll be surprised. But
4: (laughs) but but no, but I like him fighting the dogs. (laughs) I think that's exactly like it's really hard that Hulk is one of the not unlike Superman. Hulk is one of those those um, super powered characters that's really hard to give an enemy to Mm. because of their innate power. But the nice thing is the Hulk is still a newborn at this point. But the dogs are, in theory, the dog version of him. So it's like a regular guy fighting off three angry dogs. (laughs) Like, the balance of that is quite good. And I, I will say, I enjoy that fight. I like how you can tell when they're defeated because, like in a video game, they go poof, green.
2: <laughs> uh, but I so realise first... that's
4: also a bad thing. But
2: <laughs> <laughs> the first moment where he smashes his his hawk fist down into one of the dogs, ah. and it and it bursts up, it it bursts up green. In a way, I was relieved, but I was so disgusted because I was like, "He's just pummeled a dog." Yeah, he's just pummeled a dog. <laughs> it's, but just, a Hulk dog. it's just, I, I, I just, I'll be honest. I found that, I found that sequence unpleasant to watch.
4: <laughs> I mean, but I don't think that's entirely accidental. No. I think there's a definite. I mean, actually, if you look at the like the opening title sequence where it's cutting up starfish Ooh, yeah. and like. There is a definite, and for want of a better term, and probably this is racist, but there is a sort of Eastern approach. Um, I'm sure having a, a, a Taiwanese director brings with it that kind of like... I mean, the first thing that comes to mind is like Old Boy and the Squid. But like the the different relationship with how you treat living things and how willing you are to cut them up... Um, for f- if they if it's food or for the benefit of science or whatever, like mm. there's a way that stuff is both handled and photographed that Hollywood would normally not go anywhere near. It is it's very uh, it's visceral an and it has movie. that
3: sort of body horror aspect.
2: Yeah,
4: that is yeah. fair.
3: I just that's it. It's not a pleasant thing to watch, and I feel I think like the if, thing you're is, gonna, though, if you're I... going to make a Hulk movie, you can't. In much much in the same way that Josh trank's body horror version of Fantastic Four was um, a bad idea, yeah. like if you want to make a body horror movie, maybe don't track it back to this comic book character originally aimed at kids <laughs> <laughs>
4: No, that's perhaps fair. Maybe it's the Cronenberg fan in me that's actually quite
2: digging the whole thing. <laughs> but you know, weirdly, I like I like the stuff with the animals because it does. As that sounds weird, but it does feel it. It feels quite sciency and um, yeah, and true and 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 it is true to the characters. And not that the dogs isn't, but like it's the fact that like Hulk still is ostensibly the hero and seeing him pound those dogs to death i just didn't like right
3: <laughs> see for me well here's the thing
4: the the cornerstone of of what you're talking about is i'm not entertained The him fighting the dogs doesn't please you uh, you know to experience and that both of you have kind of feeling that about huge great sways of the movie whereas i can't justify this i mean i can talk about all the specifics but in the end if this movie is on and it's let's say, past the half-hour point, <laughs> if this movie is on TV, I can't turn it off. It's one that I cannot leave alone, because I just think there's two... I think it's really rather nicely designed and interestingly shot. I love the editing, of course, but yeah. everybody loves the editing. Even the people who hate the editing think it's clever.
3: <laughs> well, <laughs> we'll get to it.
2: Okay. <laughs> James, I, I I'll, well, let's get to it now, because I'll be honest... When I was watching this, I was going, I love this. But this is, I remember when, when you first watched the trailer for Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse and you just bristled at the way it looked like they were doing comics effects on the big screen and you were like, ah, I, I like, it just looks a bit naff. It looks like they're trying too hard to be comic-y. Yeah. And, I, and I, I did wonder what you would make of all of these kind of, I mean, because there's... There's so much stuff going on. Like, there's the there's the multiple frames. You know, there is the, like, one frame kind of receding back to be in the next one. There is kind of stuff popping up in the centre of the screen and then becoming becoming the whole frame. You've got these kind of weird, almost presented, like, split diopter shots where you've got two characters on either side of the screen looking in each other's direction. But it is... The way it's framed, it's clearly two people at different sides of the room. There's, 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 I, I don't know all the terms for all the stuff that he's doing, but I mean, basically every kind of clever transition he could have come up with, he,
3: yeah, he executes he finds at some a way to put it in the movie. My question is, what is that adding to the movie? Is it just going, hey, this is based on a comic, so let's do a clever comic-y-esque frame like what's it doing to the story because it seems to me that he's tried his hardest to make this film as textually like apart from the hulk comics as he possibly can and tried try to make it its own standalone science fiction thing where they spend a lot of time talking about dna as if that explains how you could turn into a hulk <laughs> and then goes oh so it's based on a comic though so let's let's put some frames in it and stuff
2: I don't think he actually cares about any of that stuff, though. The the DNA and stuff. I think it's literally just a means to an end of telling the story. Oh, he's way more interested
4: in the personal trauma than he is in the...
2: Science it's, the just the, science it's just that it's just it's just the the science nonsense is the mechanics to get to where he needs to get to like he needs the memory to be repressed he needs I mean, the- he needs the Hulk not to turn up until this point yeah
3: but then like like you say the whole intro is like based around ah, Starfish can regenerate like this this crocodile has armored skin or whatever and you're just like who cares what what is any of this like he, get, he gets irradiated by gamma radiation and turns into the Hulk it doesn't matter well, I
4: think because if you're dealing with an audience that know about radiation poisoning
5: it is reasonable
4: it is reasonable to take the the nineteen nineties, two thousands version of what science
2: is and what people will buy in science fiction. Um Can I can I give you my my kind of read on the overall movie that I think is bedded in that first ten minutes? Go for it. Go on. Um so, I think that this movie has an awful lot in common with, and is a lot more successful at telling the sins of the fathers story than Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Two is. Oh um, well, hey. So to the, to, the, to the point, you know, to the point where the parallel becomes the hero fights his dad who is manifested as a cloud, yeah, in in, in the final act, yeah, um, and like the. The Dad has created the son yeah. um and but ultimately, after being reunited after many, many years, all he wants him for is to harvest his powers yes um good lord joe there's so there's 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 clear parallels there, but I think for me it the sins of the father storyline i think it's I think it's angry going the the thought process of being and A- A- Angley and James Seamus, I think who are probably equal authors of this um, adaptation going right what makes the Hulk the Hulk well it is this manifestation of this thing inside him the Hulk is often childlike and still has been in you know in the MCU adaptations so it's almost like this repressed angry mm-hmm. toddler that is that that has been frozen in time this unresolved trauma from his childhood. That is gonna burst out and have a tantrum. Well, at that some that
3: point. is canonical, to be fair. Like,
2: yes, but so yeah. but so that's that's why I think the starting point is, yeah. And then I think he's gone right. So if it's this repressed trauma from childhood, what is that? Okay, it's his dad. And for a for a kind of a, a story where a hero sorry or where a character kind of because angley also talks about approaching this as almost like kind of like one of the old universal monster movies that it's kind of a frankenstein story early on um and you know because the hulk isn't he isn't straightforward superhero is he um you know back in the and i know he's kind of taken on a superhero role at various times and now that is the view of the hulk that we have but obviously i know early on james he was the villain right and i think there's been a um, a series recently that's really lent into the horror. Is it at uh, the Al Ewing's version of the yeah, Hulk? Yeah,
3: the Immortal Hulk. That I mean, that's a sort of radically different take on the Hulk. That but but doesn't had, really like even, apply, but...
2: even like Planet Hulk, because that kind of ends with him just going, "Fuck it, I'm the villain." <laughs> yeah, I mean, he is,
3: he is. at various points the villain. Like yeah. people often talk about the Hulk as a Frankenstein story, but mm. for me. The the core of Hulk is that it's a sort of King Kong Godzilla story.
2: Yes, and I and I, and I think there are. Oh, this
4: th- leans into some of the King Kongness for sure. Yeah, yeah definitely. Him 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 putting um, Betty in the car <laughs> is is right before the dogfight. <laughs> is such a a, a a King Kongy move?
2: Yeah,
4: I. But yeah, I. But yeah, you,
2: I, I, t- I t- sorry, just to just to yeah. finish that thought on the overall read of the movie is that for a, for a, for this character be he hero villain whatever monster for this guy to have been this hulk to have been created through nuclear power I, and you know in a in a film that is so heavy on the military i i think there is there's something about the the you know the the americans setting off that nuclear bomb and how and and the decades and decades of fall out from that and for the future generations that that you know nuclear warfare sees i think angley tracks that back and goes right that the father has to be the one that sets this in motion Mm. and it's the it's the son who it's the it's the next generation who sees through the trauma of that and and becomes the the manifestation of it and the and the 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 ultimate fight has to be the kid grappling with that dad um, yeah. Who, well, I I don't know if it's fair to say never really cared about him, but never cared about him more than he oh, cared about. Oh, not
4: yeah, no. There's very little. Um, no. <laughs> there's very little empathy going on with that Nick Nolte character. He's really haunting. I he think I think he's bloody marvelous in this. He's incredibly unsettling to be around. Like you yeah. do not want when she goes to his house. I don't want her in
2: there. Mm. And he says something about her being very beautiful and yeah. you kind of have that moment where you're like is this creepy because it feels predatory? And it isn't. It's creepy because he's saying that and you are like but that's he's he's only saying that to throw her off. He's got no interest in her sexually. That's not nope. there's no there's no sexual threat here. No,
4: she's not acad- she's only interesting in academic ways to him. Mm. Like how sh- how it can how she can function with his son is the whole of his interest. Uh, the thing about... I mean, the, it's difficult to make a Hulk movie, just at its core, because the Hulk story is too much like a werewolf story. It's the thing inside you that, at certain times, is going to break free and do damage. And that works if you're making a horror movie. If you're making a superhero movie, and the emphasis is very much on the hero... the Uh, available heroism of that character it's quite hard to build it because the hero spends the entire movie going don't change don't change don't get involved step away and it's bloody hard to write a movie where the hero literally doesn't want the premise of the movie to happen (laughs) ever right and that works in a horror movie because it's 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 frightening then that it does happen but what's really hard is to make this half a horror movie and half a superhero movie. And it's why Hulk standalone films are really tough to do. It's also why when Marvel get hold of this properly and do their own version, they A, find it equally as difficult, (laughs) uh, and B, end up copying the structure of this movie. Because even if you start from a point of view of let's not do that again, what you end up doing is... Okay, so he'll accidentally transform in the first act and it'll be dark and shrouded in shadow and then he'll do a couple of big ones in the middle and that'll be all fighting the military and then he'll do one at the end where he fights something big in CGI. The shape of those two, two movies trace right over each other because that's almost the only way to do a Hulk movie, solo movie, adequately. It's also never completely satisfying. Because your hero's chasing the idea of of preventing the movie from happening. Yeah, um, that's
2: that is something in, inherent, isn't it? That and yeah. you sometimes you can make really compelling stories out of that of a of a central character who is actively trying to be the impediment to the thing you're watching. Absolutely, like, but it's but it's tough and it's really hard to do. Shame, and it's why it works. Seamus talks, talks about like the for him the most interesting part of the whole being not being his transformation but him kind of dealing with it afterwards and, mm. the tra- and the transition from the Hulk back into Banner being the most dramatically interesting thing but not something that works in an action movie um, yeah, and I, that's and interesting. I think the, the MCU has had I I've, I've, for, for, for all that um, I know a lot of people don't like it I think Age of Ultron gloms onto that that the inter- yeah the interest well and i thing. happen to like that as
4: well which is yes. <laughs> maybe part, part of the same thing
2: james where does this land for you in terms of cinematic hulks do, do you do you prefer the norton story or the the movie the character any of it,
3: it uh, it's really hard for me to place it like um i think just on a on a pure entertainment level i just find this movie so consistently dull <laughs> whereas <laughs> at least the incredible hulk like the locations are interesting the actors are, if they're not better they're at least more familiar to me um, I don't rate either of them particularly highly I think I would call this I would call hulk maybe a one and a half star movie an incredible hulk oh, two wow movie. <laughs> Whoa! Like I just, right. I think they they are both m- incredibly flawed, and just doing the wrong things with the character.
2: Let's let's talk performances, and for these, I I want to kind of talk about these on the uh, on on the Hulk adaptation gamut. Uh, so we've got Betty. There's obviously a, there's 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 two Bettys for us to com to compare between. Oh, uh, this movie wins the Bettys. Come on! Do you do you agree with that, Jake? Because I am, I am so, I am so pro Jennifer Connelly. I think she's. It I mean,
3: w- like it wins, but again, she's not. She's not doing anything interesting.
2: She's absolutely
4: go. She's she's given the 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 story of going after the dad when the military aren't doing that.
3: I just, yeah, I, she, I don't find she her gets- a compelling character though. Like she's just sort of there. And... You
2: see, I, I kind of, I kind of like that it gives her the grounded version of Hulk's story, uh, of yes. uh, of Banner's story. So you've got, you've got Bruce, who and and both of their traumas are de- are depicted through dream sequences, and so, and and hers, and,
4: by the way, her dream sequence is one that he remembers from a photograph. <laughs> There's a hell of a I I I You know, I can hold my hands up to the floors of the movie. The way we get to that sequence yes, is that he true, looks at a it? photograph yeah. of them and then she,
2: he remembers her telling him about the dream. Yes. <laughs> and, and, which is structurally maybe a bit off. And it feels motivated perhaps by the fact that Angley had this idea of doing a moving photograph. <laughs> yeah. And actually, the flip side is also true, because the way Hulk gets his memory back
4: of his mother being stabbed is because his dad tells Betty. <laughs> and we cut back to him in his water tank remembering it. Yes, that's so true. So both that's of th- these things—they're the right things to come out, but they're coming out in completely the wrong way.
2: And again, <laughs> that—that feels—that feels like very idiosyncratic James Sheamus kind of storytelling. Can we? Uh, I don't know if he's because he's not credited solely with the screenplay. No.
4: It's, so, but I—I I think he was the last writer on the project, but. I know that there's a lot there was a big deal about the arbitration for this one.
2: My um, my takeaway is that he is the the primary author of this. He's he's Anglee's, you know, consigliere across just about everything and I I think that I think that all of the weird stuff in there is is Lee and and uh Seamus working together. Seamus apparently worked on a production draft of um, X Men uh, oh, very right. v- very early on in the production process. Uh, met um, Avi Arad through that, and uh, they stayed in touch. And then eventually they were like Hulk, and he was like, "Yeah, yeah, sure." <laughs> um, and, then, and he'd since had the Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon success, and so came in and and and. I, I I believe did the bulk of the work on this edit. I,
4: I I don't necessarily doubt it, but you've got to watch when three writers have gone through arbitration oh, yeah. that there's there is a requirement that some that their stuff is in there.
2: Like, yeah, it's a, just in it's a, interesting that Seamus gets story and screenplay credits.
4: It is, it is. And actually you read back on what the different drafts were, because they had the leader in here and they had all sorts of characters. And it just got refined down and down. Absorbing Man and the Dad were two different characters and eventually got merged. Um, Mm. There's a a huge and convoluted history. Michael France goes in and out of the production over and over and over again. (laughs) Um, And actually, even the list of producers is really interesting because you've got Avi Arad and Kevin Feige and Gail Ann Hurd. Wow. Yeah. Any any one of these would give you very different expectations for the kind of movie you were going to get. So the idea that in some way they've collaborated feels bonkers. So sh- no wonder the movie's confused, is <clears throat> what i was saying. And
2: Seamus producing himself
4: as well. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, It's a bizarre concoction. Um, sorry, you were doing performances, Joe, and I've yeah no. So, <laughs> so
2: to go back to Betty and those and those two dream sequences, right? So I think basically, like, and this is this is me taking this from the the commentary. Um, but Lee sa- says basically, Bruce Banner's dream is Hulk's reality, and that kind of that inner aggression and survival instincts and uh, and that repressed trauma that that basically is Hulk. So Bruce Banner's memories of something bad happening when he was a kid, but not quite knowing what. Yeah. That is the Hulk, this angry but confused That's a lovely thing.
4: quote as well. I think that's why I like him. And I think that's why I like the movie, is that I keep feeling
2: that level of think-through, like the philosophy yeah. behind things. And you see, I, I think <laughs> when you were like, if this movie is ever on, I would want to watch it. Yeah. I I am more in the camp of, if anyone's ever recording a podcast, or if Ang Lee's ever talking about this or whatever, I want to hear about it. Interesting. <laughs> I think, yeah, yeah. And I, I think I'm far more interested in in like honestly. I would watch the I would watch Ang Lee's commentary again before I watch the movie again. <laughs> oh gosh, <That laughs> but not, But good. that's. But I. But no. that's like I. I think I kind of come out on the movie three stars, uh, which yeah. is like which is like I, I'm so I'm just so much more invested in it than I when I'm thinking about it than I am when I'm watching it. <laughs> <laughs> I just... Which I guess I could do both of those at the same time.
3: I just... I can't... I can't track any of this movie onto the stuff I love about the Hulk, which is probably a big part of the problem for me.
4: Uh, yes, Like 'cause Because I,
3: I, a- I love the character in the comics, and, like I say, the thing I like most about this movie is that they treat him with some level of respect. Like, it's not... It's not the TV show where they go... Like, oh, you know, it's just a sort of wandering hobo take where, you know, it's like the fucking eighteen team yeah. or whatever. Like, I really like that they went back to the character and said, OK, what's been done with the Hulk aside from the thing everyone knows about in pop culture?
5: Hmm. Yeah.
3: And so he, you know, picked up that and ran with it. Like, you know, all respect Jake... him for doing that. It's just that when I come and see a Hulk movie, I'm just like, this doesn't have any of the things I want to see in it
4: can i can i sell you on the possibility that the stuff in the big battling the military stuff in the desert and indeed his running away from so much of it is getting closer to what you would have liked and in particular i'm thinking of things like jumping on a jet to stop it crashing because he does he's there's a hulk instinct for don't that person doesn't need to needlessly die yeah
3: like the the hulk instinct should be like protects the person who can't protect themselves like the thing the thing that hulk movies generally i think miss is that the character has this enormous empathy for everyone around him
4: Uh... and like
3: when when they attack him he doesn't understand why he's being attacked like he doesn't want to lash out he wants to to get away and like they back him into a corner (laughs) and he he saves the people who are hurt and he He jumps james yeah he jumps (laughs) <laughs> what ju- was- and
2: uh, by the way the
4: wind on his face stuff like the delight in being free and in the open and not being attacked for a bit <laughs> is one of my favorite things there's a real zen quality to the bouncing hulk that i really like look at me with the wind on my face and without anything to bother me for a miles
2: i remember the jumping being the thing that was the like stick that was used to pipe used to poke this movie for so long oh that that it was a bit shit and i was watching it and going i like the jumping no yeah yeah,
3: i liked it because when when it happened i was like oh that's that's a thing he does in the comics like if he wants to get (laughs) away he would just do a massive jump
4: can i also one of my favorite little bits and it's so in line with what you're talking about james and i'm suddenly realizing oh yeah i could stand to see a little more of this this version of get away, why would you even hurt me? Mm-hmm. Like not treating the Hulk like a wrath beast because he's anger, he's not wrath. Yeah. And the distinction there is one that gets missed very easily. And one of my favourite little moments is quite early on where he's transformed for the first time and he sees his dad through the crack in the door and his dad yeah. sees him back. What well, This thing his son has become. And Hulk doesn't go forwards, he jumps through the ceiling and goes away. And I thought that was, like, spot-on understanding of, like, oh, yeah, because his thing isn't I want to kill anyone within the vicinity or destroy everything in the vicinity. It's this thing This thing is
2: upsetting, and I need to get away from it. Mm-hmm. And and I, I think that, potentially, uh, Ang Lee's intent for this movie, James, is closer to what you wanted than, than perhaps what you have ended up getting from it. Because, <laughs> yeah. so, uh, Lee is definitely, uh, he is a comic fan. Um, I don't know if you've seen the ice storm, but the ice storm is kind yeah, of fra- yeah, yeah. has, has this fantastic four framing device, mm-hmm. um, which is, you know, telling a story about a, a, well, a couple of very fractured families and, and does that through the the prism of, uh, well, Spider-Man himself, Tobey Maguire and, um, <laughs> a, and comic books. Um, and I, I, one of the other things that he said that was really interesting to me, and I think does track through, through those action sequences with the Hulk is that uh, he was like for him the Hulk is like anger is the catalyst that turns him into the Hulk but the the overriding emotion that kind of powers him is anxiety that Bruce Banner has this inner anxiety because of because of that trauma that he's gone through and so when he does be- the anger is the thing that pushes him into becoming the Hulk but actually the Hulk is yeah. more, Uh, he's an anxiety monster he's not an anger monster and that and i think that probably i think that probably tracks with what you were saying you like but obviously you didn't you didn't actually end up getting enough yeah well
3: that's because like the thing the thing i ultimately want to see out of a hulk movie is like the character having some level of redemption and being like able to say you know at the end of it actually maybe the hulk isn't so bad you know he did destroy our houses but he saved us from this thing and actually, what this movie gets is, well, he managed to beat up his dad. So obviously, you know, he managed or... to.
4: That dad is becoming more and more and more powerful and dangerous. But he's so not threatening I,
3: anyone other than the Hulk, and maybe nebulously the rest of the world.
4: Well, I, I I I totally agree with that. The third act definitely doesn't go. Wait, happen? What happens once he gets what he wants from the Hulk? Because <laughs> that is his whole aim: is to reactivate the Hulk, get what he wants from him, and move on. But of course. He's definitely a sociopath. Yeah. And once he's a big huge lightning generated, you know, electric killing machine. That there, no, there isn't any emphasis put on what the stakes are next, but I do think Hulk's big thing is get him away from a populated area and deal with this deal with this problem.
3: Yeah, but it's it's disconnected from any humanity. It's just like get him away from the city, fight him in the desert and okay
4: it's all but it's all about father and son he literally hands his father his trauma to destroy him like that's the (laughs) big final action it's
3: very clever have it have all of it it's very clever
2: Uh, do do you know why it's very clever do you know why i I think it doesn't work (laughs) (laughs) i i think it doesn't work because let's get back to the performance review um I don't think Eric Banner's very good, and I think it is. And I think when I was talking at the start about um, about the effects not quite working, the luck of the Hulk not quite working for me, I, I have exactly the same problem with the and Hulk. I can't see that... I can't see... You
4: can't vision. see Eric Banner
2: in it. I can't see yeah. Eric Banner in him, but I also yeah. which also means I can't see the performance tracking between the two. And yes. I love I love that Ang Lee was passionate enough about this that he wanted to see the motion capture. Uh but I kind of wish it was Eric Banner because mm. um, yeah, no, I you get kind that. of you kind of want you kind of want Banner's performance to have at least a kind of a twinkle of of that inner anger. Yeah, no.
4: The, I mean, the fact that you can definitely see Ruffalo through the CG makes a huge difference to those Hulk appearances, yeah.
2: and I think, and, and I do think it affects his his performance as Bruce Banner. I, I I I think having to deliver a performance that operates in both of those spaces, I think it I think it benefits him when he's in the when he's in his Bruce Banner mode as well.
4: Yeah, no, I don't think that's wrong. I don't think that's at all unreasonable. I I, I quite like Banner's... I quite like Eric Banner's Bruce Banner um, in as much as I quite enjoy... I enjoy how repressed he's willing to be and I feel like there's a similarity between that and what Ruffalo ends up doing, which is this kind of, like, I have to be so low-key in my day-to-day life. Mm. Um, Only he's low-key pre-Hulk, whereas with, with... with Ruffalo's version of the character, it's because I'm the Hulk, I have to be very low yes. key. Yeah. Whereas here, it's like I have to be low key because of my massively repressed trauma <laughs> that I've actually forgotten about, and then also I'm a Hulk on
2: top. See, I think that's I think that's why everyone thinks that Ruffalo, aside from the uh, from the visual comparison, why Ruffalo would make a great Columbo. <laughs> yeah. Because, because it is that guy he he kind of in his in his Bruce Banner mode has that slightly kind of hunched over like Oh don't don't worry about me. I'm nothing you I'm not Desperately unassuming. Yeah. Yeah. Just put put that man in a trench coat.
4: so all right so the bat the the battle of the banners i mean come on norton isn't any great i mean so um, this is i think
2: he's i think he's better i
4: want to i want to
3: make a point here which is that when ed norton was announced for bruce banner i was so excited because yes his performance in Mm. fight club is virtually perfect for bruce banner and then he turns up in incredible hulk and he is so (laughs) bored
4: yes yeah I think he's so bored in all the scenes he didn't write, and they edit this, edited that hour out of the movie. <laughs> and so he probably I, I look, you look at the deleted scene. Actually, no, he doesn't even bring it in the deleted scenes. No. It's a very sleepwalking, nothingy.
3: Definitely, Ed, Ed Norton in Fight Club is the best Bruce Banner.
4: That's <laughs> that's more reasonable. I mean, actually, that and Primal Fear. Like his, he he, he had an early run at being. Some but presenting as one person while having something a lot more dangerous going
2: on, and then American History X is like the flip of that, right? That yeah. he's, yes. that he's active, well, he's actively trying to repress it in the in the. Yes, second can half you prove movie?
4: that there's actually a Bruce Banner still inside this Hulk guy? Is the <laughs> yeah.
2: yeah, and twenty fifth late nineties, early two thousand. Ed Norton, you're like, how many Oscars does this guy end up winning? Oh.
3: Hey, I really <laughs> liked um, Motherless Brooklyn. Just while we're on Ed Norton, like, oh, so that's a good movie. It's just
2: fascinating where his career kind of, maybe it was around Hulk, but it just kind of stopped, didn't it? Yeah, it's funny, Well, that's isn't
3: it? Hulk. Hulk was him becoming quote unquote difficult, right? That's when he became yes. difficult, Ed Norton, yeah. and that's what gets people to not be on movies anymore.
5: Yeah,
4: and to be fair, like I like the Italian Job remake quite a lot as a great, big, fun, silly heist movie. But he sleepwalks through that as well, yeah. and yeah. he's the villain. Like he's got every reason to be massively entertaining in that movie
2: (laughs) so james wait well i I wanted to ask james this question uh angley says in the comics no one cares about bruce banner and that he wanted to try and make audiences care i i think he fails but i'm more interested in the is that true because i would actually say anytime i've read a comic with bruce banner in i've gone yeah i don't care Um... give me the hulk give me the hulk (laughs) i wondered whether is that is that why planet hulk is so successful i mean
3: part of part of the thing right is that most most of the hulk comics i've read don't deal exclusively in banner versus the hulk they're all about the relationship between the two and the the symbiosis between the two Mm. like planet hulk is a is a sort of exception in that it just says Bruce Banner is, like, on an alien planet and he goes, fuck this, I'm being the Hulk full-time, you drive. Yeah. Like, that's fine. Um, Most of the comics I've read, and probably most Hulk comics for probably the last 30 years, have basically been, like, either he's some combination of Bruce Banner and the Hulk, or the Hulk is in charge, or, you know, Bruce Banner's actively rid himself of the Hulk and only exist in that context like it's it's a
4: relationship story right yeah it's, it's yeah. yeah
3: like you i don't think you could have anyone care about bruce banner without the hulk yeah. that's certainly true i don't i don't the... think it's true this movie either though i think bruce banner is on screen and you're going why do i care about you you're boring and not oh nice.
2: you go you're gonna I... break my heart <laughs>
5: <laughs>
2: i was just i i think that's interesting i think that's probably for me one of the biggest failings of uh, infinity war end game is that the the hulk banner relationship was was resolved off screen yeah definitely. and uh, you, you kind of feel like well and, and i think there was a version of it that we we never actually saw but the third act felt like it was i i, I don't believe that that was supposed to be mark ruffalo inside the hulk buster uh armor i think it was supposed to be hulk inside it and uh, some, something went wrong <laughs> And we and we just never get to see that relationship
3: resolved, it fe- and it's so frustrating. That
4: felt like a last minute change of some kind, didn't it? Yeah, not that, he kinda, not that that's what this is about, but
2: yeah. And <laughs> he kind of gets his little hero moment, doesn't he? Where he get where he kills one of the, uh, <laughs> the, the I don't know, the, one the of the outriders, guys. yeah, yes, um, and but yeah, it, it, as much as I liked what we got from Hulk in Endgame, I you kind of do you kind of do go. I, w- I wish I could have seen that happen. Mm-hmm. Those two entities resolve.
4: It's difficult because they've not. They've made a clear point of going. Actually, I don't think Hulk or Banner are protagonists particularly in this story. Mm. Right, all the way through from the very first Avengers, like there's absolutely a um, an interest in the character, like the whether. Putting him together with Black Widow and stuff is stuff I still really enjoy. And I know that's controversial, but <laughs> um, that is stuff I really enjoy. Me and too. and in the end, though, it's it's he's the thing that causes the problem on the on the the helicarrier, and then he's the the MacGuffin you bring in to do more violence at the end in that in that first Avengers movie. And we'd explore the character more, but there's never a point where it's it's honestly kind of hand, the narrative is honestly handed to bruce banner to take forward i don't think the closest you get is being next to tony when tony makes ultron <laughs> you know i mean so it's yeah, quite they, hard to
3: they do make a point don't they in avengers of they bring him in because they need a super scientist not because they need a hulk
4: yeah yeah absolutely mm.
2: Go on, we were going through the cast. This is taking forever. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but we're getting so many interesting. Uh, it is segments. no, the
4: digressions are better than the topic. But come on, keep doing them. We'll and get you
2: know, them. and you know what, I think this. I think now as we as we shift over to um, Thunderbolt Ross, I hey. think this this also gives me the opportunity to finally resolve my argument about Betty and about what her her dream that we get. So in her dream, she is abandoned by her dad who runs off obviously to investigate the gamma explosion that um that David Banner the Nick Nolte character mm-hmm. has set off uh, back in the 60s uh so she's left alone she is abandoned by her father um she turns and sees Bruce uh but then Bruce kind of in a POV shot appears that he's reaching forward to put his uh his um hands around her neck to strangle her um which from,
4: he does later in the movie. Yes. As
2: well. Yeah. And and well, uh, yeah. And aside from the obvious foreshadowing, I think there's there's her own daddy issues there, where yeah. she kind of feels abandoned by her father, and that she has found this new kind of male presence in her life as an adult, which is Bruce. Uh, but she has recognised that there is something dangerous or unhealthy there, yeah. and as much as she wants to embrace that, she can't quite and 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 her her narrative kind of being the the flip of Bruce's where so Bruce's daddy issues um are so much more irreparable, and he ends up fighting and kind of throwing his trauma back at his dad, whereas she gets the opportunity to resolve her issues um at, well c- kind of with both of them over the course yeah. of the movie, so with her dad who ultimately trusts her to to play the part she needs to play in the... It, with Bruce. Um, and, and then with Bruce himself, he, himself, she kind of... she finds the strength to kind of face him down as the Hulk. Um, and and yeah, I, I kind of liked... I, I liked that she had... She, that she was A, a counterpoint to him, and that B, she had something that she was doing throughout the movie, which was, you know actually challenging nick nolte so so she serves the function that nick nolte doesn't need to come face to face with bruce banner too often during the movie you get that kind of scene early on and then at the end don't you um yeah i mean
4: look just look at how you've talked about that and it's a world away from like rachel mcadams in doctor (laughs) strange (laughs) right there is at least um And I I get not digging it, but there is an absolute intent to keep her front and centre of a series of narratives. Now, they are narratives that are all about the male lead, but that's unfortunately how movies work. Everybody is about the lead. Um, The the solution to that is more films about women. Um, But she does go actively in pursuit of the dad in pursuit of the problem in pursuit of solutions to her own trauma and in solutions to his trauma one of the big things on the military base is she persuades ross to let her take bruce out and try and explore what's wrong with him psychologically rather than them just putting him in a tank and putting a drill in his neck (laughs) (laughs) i i i think it's a really textured interesting set of stuff for her to do and i think as a performance she acquits herself
3: excellently see that just i don't disagree with any of that but when i'm watching it i'm just sitting there going like why do you care about any of this like who are you i i i just i think it's (laughs) it's, it's built so much around the themes and and look i get get you know the connectedness that there's just no nothing i relate to there there
4: is definitely a problem with how aspects of this thing are even put together because if you sign up for a Hulk movie, the one thing you can be comfortably sure of is that when the moment happens that's going to turn him into the Hulk, it's going to be a big, exciting moment. (laughs) And this movie instead pulls the camera back, turns the sound down and fades to black. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like he does he does the thing of saving the guy And that actually is quite nimbly directed Although the guy's just kind of cowering But it it works like as a, a credible piece of human fear um, But then Bruce steps in front of it And instead of being like blasted by gamma radio or there, w- The understanding is Oh no this radiation's invisible So we're going to have to do it as a post effect That you know is a post effect <laughs> Like we're going to flood the screen with green right. But you'll understand nothing was green in the room the movie is saying, oh, like green things. And it feels like there's a series of of things like that. There are scenes where they end and you go, did anything just change? Mm. And, oh, I'll tell you what, one of my favourite little scenes where nothing really happens <laughs> is <laughs> is be- very early on. Betty goes and has uh, the dinner with her father and she hasn't seen him in years and he warns her off Bruce. Yeah. And what's really interesting about that scene, apart from it's really interested in her as a character, like, it cuts to her and lets her pick up the story. We're quite early on, and it already segues off from Bruce to say, no, 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 the Betty story's also a thing. She goes to see his father, and all through that scene, they are crossing the 180-degree line. <laughs> and I swear to God, the one of, I know you talked about, like, what does the editing do for the story? And it's not that it does much for... It doesn't add to the story but what it does add is tone and whether you like that tone or not is you know totally a, a, an individual thing but what I think Ang Lee looked at the comics and went this this allows you to cross the line <laughs> I'm a mo- I don't get to do that in films and he finds a way to do it and I'll tell you what if you just look at that dinner scene it's one of the best edited scenes ever because it manages to jump the camera both sides of the dining table without ever getting you lost or feeling like somebody cheated or that the cut was wrong, because he always matches it to a piece of action, a bit of business. The camera is re-centering the line over and over and over again to talk about how odd and unsettling and multi-angled this conversation is. Mm.
2: I I um I noticed it in the the first the like interrogation scene between oh. Th- Thunderbolt Ross and Tolk. Uh well and Bruce Banner and the camera there is kind of um it's kind of arcing behind each of them so it's kind of doing the over the shoulder shot over one of them, um but it 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 keeps getting closer in and then when it does pull back it's almost at this really steep angle that's looking down at them oh yeah um and it's it it's this kind of like it feels like originally that it's getting more intimate and more intimate, and then suddenly, like when when Sam Elliott goes, "Oh, you don't remember, right?" Okay, and then and then the camera pulls mm-hmm. back and watches it like a remove a, a remove, and I and I think it is. I think for me, the editing at uh, a lot of times adds. It kind of has that. It, it adds the pace to the movie. It yeah it, uh, the transitions for me do feel like page turns like and, and skipping between panels and having that real propulsive s- storytelling that um like which i i, I would have never realized of thought that would have been possible before i read comics through this po- podcast but like action sequences in comics being as kinetic as they are for still images yes. and i think that i think you you add something to the movie by doing that i really um, think you do Uh, But then also, like, uh, I think it allows for, it makes, as you were saying with Crossing the Line, but it it makes for some really unnatural framing and some really unnatural close-ups feel Mm. natural and feel at place in the movie. So you can, you can, you can kind of, (laughs) there's a shot where, um, where, (laughs) we'll talk about him in a minute, but um, Eric Banner walks into the room. Um, and Josh Lucas is in there talking to Jennifer Connelly. Oh and, yes, and the the kind of little frames that come up just kind of watch each of their eyes as they're looking at each yeah, other. Yeah, who's and,
4: looking at who? And, yeah. yeah,
2: and it, and and um, Angley was, yeah, I think Angley was talking about how like it's also it's the sound design that that kind of guides your eyes visually through those yeah. scenes where there are multiple things where. The sound design will flip from panel to panel as so you kind of don't realise when you're watching it, but it's the sound that's telling you where to look next. That's and, really interesting, and it does for me. It does like it's it's a movie that's two hours ten minutes long, I think, and it doesn't feel that long. Yeah, uh, which is which is surprising to me because, as I say, I do sympathise with some of James's arguments of <laughs> like at times this movie doesn't.
4: Well cuz cuz sometimes it's it gets downright alienating. Like I do I do understand yes. that. And I like some one of my favorite things is the willingness it has to be fascinated by um landscape. Like there's a real <laughs> there's a real interest
2: in. Yeah. Here's a close up of desert flowers. Here's a very close up shot of a rock. Angley was getting so excited about when Betty and um Bruce go back to his childhood home. And he was like, and oh, we didn't use any lighting at all. No right. reflectors, no nothing. It's just, that's that kind of oh. stark, bright light out in the desert. And that lights the whole thing. And he has this one shot of it that is that is really impactful. And I think the desert shots are really impactful. And that's what I was talking about for me. Yeah, The exterior stuff is fantastic.
4: I think it's beautiful. I really think the big white stuff. That's the one thing that I really felt. Because obviously this came out. Not that long before the second attempt by Marvel to do it. It's five
2: years, the, right? It's not, it's right? not, it's it's not tight, much at all.
4: So you can't help but sit and compare the two. And one of the things it that takes. I'm, that
2: amount of time for two versions of Justice League to come out. <laughs>
4: <laughs> There's something. The the bigness of this, like, this is very, very committed. And they were, they're equivalent budgets. Like, one wasn't massively more expensive than the other. But this one puts all of the. Bigness into a, into the camera, and you you see scale of landscape, scale of emotions, scale of all this thing. When you get to the Hulk fighting an in incredible Hulk, he has like this scrap on a college campus in quite a contained piece of lawn, <laughs> and that's like the big. Yeah. That's the like the first big fight. Our our guy here is doing okay. That was the Hulk Dogs the first time. Like that's the equivalent of the Hulk Dogs that scene. But his, his big, huge rampages feel so much smaller to me in Incredible Hulk than they feel in this one where make it a parking lot. And they, you're like, wait, well, is that not a national monument?
2: I, you, I, but, I, in in Incredible Hulk's, Hulk's defence, and I don't think it works, but I think they go, what if we put him in more contained areas? Won't the destruction of that be more interesting? So they intentionally go, let's put him in a factory and then let's put him on the Berkeley campus and yeah. then let's put him in Harlem. I mean,
3: that's fair to yeah. a point, but then nothing on the Berkeley campus gets destroyed. No. No, he
2: breaks a window, I
4: <laughs> think. Yeah,
3: like he yeah. he's literally inside that like bridge thing when he changes and it yeah. holds up fine.
2: Yeah, that, that I mean, that
4: sequence is bad. Like no, actually, say, there's a piece not... of art, right? It's the bit of metal <laughs> art that gets destroyed. <laughs> he uses it as a shield briefly and... Yeah.
2: I don't like. I say I'm. I'm not defending that in terms of execution. I just think. I think it was more on the script
3: level. Yeah, that's probably what they were going for.
4: But I think when you look at it executed, it looks like they ran out of money to do Hulk at the right scale in that movie, and we're like, well, we'll have to save it for the finale. Really, we can't afford to do it. It's going to be quite brief scuffles in the middle because there's no way to do this. Ang Lee. Whatever he got out of the budget, and obviously there's five years of inflation, but still, what he gets out of the budget there is enormous.
5: Hmm. It My looks frus- huge.
2: My frustration when we get to those big kind of uh, like, and I, I love the the shot of him like uh, the camera panning out. So far, he looks tiny, kind of yes. hopping hopping oh. around the the desert and on that rocky area and stuff, and that I, I like that, but. The problem is, and I'm sure this is driven by the effects, any time the Hulk comes out, all of that interesting editing kind of has to just be thrown away to go, and now we do Hulk stuff. Um, oh,
4: hang on. Hulk bursting out of the facade on the on the base, on the flats, where they yes, do it. oh
2: yeah, that is good. It's one of the
4: <laughs> best edits in the history of movies. And I also, i tell you what else I love, is that thing where they use three location stills and he hops between them. <laughs> yeah well
2: those locations are awfully close together. <laughs> no 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 it's <laughs> one
4: it's one panorama but they they yeah. take the photographs separately and yeah. make them deliberately look like they don't blend together so yeah. they look like separate fo- photograph panels and then he moves across
2: them. But you know like when when he's fighting the dogs when he's fighting his dad at the end it it kind of it ends up feeling more conventional to me than than Yeah no that's than than most of the movie has allowed for. Although, to be fair,
4: the things going on on screen are so insane at both of those points <laughs> that it's like, maybe you don't need any more? Because, like, <laughs> his dad becomes a projector for all the comic book panels that are going on in his head in that finale.
3: Yeah, can we it's... talk about that final fight, actually? Because I think, I think I would have forgiven a lot more about the movie if the conclusion had been comprehensible. Yeah. James,
4: can I ask you a question? Did you watch this HD or standard def?
3: I I only have the DVD. So
4: See, I on DVD, I think that finale is damn near impenetrable. <laughs> yeah. But I I bought the Blu-ray cheap uh spe- not quite because this podcast was coming up, but only a few months ago and when when this podcast was off, I was like, I just bought this. It's like destiny. <laughs> um because I'd been living with it on DVD for years and kind of hating that finale, and I watched it in HD, and it's so much clearer what's going on, shot by shot. That
3: is interesting.
4: Uh, I'm not saying it redeems the literal events, yeah. but it does. <laughs> it does make you not resent the thing that's maybe or maybe not happening in front of your eyes.
2: Yeah, and, and let me let me um, just drop the. Incredible bombshell that Hulk is, or oh, I think, has just been released in 4K. There is a 4K steelbook oh, available no. at Zabi. If it should, should that? Oh, Joe, fancy. what are you doing to me? <laughs> it comes with four exclusive art cards. <laughs> oh. Thank just
4: in time. Before you say, put those on your wall. Show your devotion to that particular iteration of the Hulk.
2: They've, I mean, they've also done the same thing for um, for the for the Incredible Hulk. Um, and right. and also f- um for the universal hulk collection which i think might just be the two of them together <laughs> <laughs> that's
4: funny well you know what though it's so close to this movie working in canon with the other movie because the pre title the the title sequence right for the incredible hulk almost feels like bits of this movie mm-hmm. cut together yeah
2: i think and i think the i think the incredible hulk was intentionally doing that where it was yeah. going look... Audiences have seen a Hulk story recently, yeah. um and even if they haven't, they kind of get it. Let's just get it out of the way and pick it up. But the, to the point that, right, he's in South America. Yeah, like, yeah. It, it, it feels like it could be a direct continuation. I, yeah, I, and it goes, like goes back to Berkeley. Really...
3: Like, yeah, it yeah. goes back
2: to Berkeley. It doesn't feel like there's anything that's a direct
3: contradiction. The only the only thing that is sort of suspicious is that in the Incredible Hulk intro. It shows him sitting in the chair to irradiate himself, like he did from the seventies TV show.
4: Oh uh, right, yes, okay.
3: but that could be anything happening, right?
5: Yeah,
4: you can
2: you can headcanon that away quite easily. Yeah, I want I wanted to ask about that. Um, one one thing that felt like just a slight missing link in this was, um, so his dad has turned back up. He's still got the repressed memories. He's obviously still got whatever is the, whatever. Has the potential to become the whole lurking inside of him, um, and then the gamma in, uh, the gamma experiment goes wrong and sets it in motion.
4: The gamma and the nanomed's
2: and the na- yes, he obs- yeah. he
4: takes those in simultaneously with the gamma blast and the fact that he's got his dad's bizarre tested DNA. So, so
2: it's it, it's all so convoluted in there that I kind of yeah. I I wanted nulty to be pulling those strings. You know, I wanted him to have cocked with the machine to make
4: it, yeah, to make it Yeah, it's bizarre, go.
3: isn't it, that that he didn't sabotage that machine?
2: Yeah. Yeah.
4: Because yeah, I, su- I was watching it
3: going like, oh, that's that's clearly what happened, but
2: it hadn't. Well, when, yeah, when I watched it back, I was like, did I miss something? Right. And yeah. Uh, and But yeah, evidently not. Actually, I'll tell you what, again,
4: talking about just like how this thing zigs when it badly needs to zag his first transformation happens because he's laid in his hospital bed feeling bad about the conversation he had a little while ago so so in like and i get it because like your long lost father and all your repressed trauma something's coming up but in terms of like just executing this in a in a way that feels Movie like and visceral, (laughs) it's quite hard to have a character go through their biggest change when nothing specific has just happened. (laughs)
2: But it, and and it it feels deliberately obtuse in those moments. Absolutely,
4: absolutely. And that's I think that's the thing is you have to in the same way as I like close-ups of rocks and of wind of, of, and of desert flowers because it wants to talk about states of mind and Zen-like states of mind, and it wants to do some of the the cool stuff is in the hallucinations, not hallucinations, but the sort of representations of Banner's mental state, which is where you get puny humoured from Hulk on the other side of the glass. Like it doesn't do any of these scenes literally. It does them all sort of um, in that sort of much more obscure mode, and, and I, I will, totally I get why people with, don't res- respond to
2: that. And I, I will agree with James that the, the the amount of business that we have to get through for Hulk to become the Hulk from a like a science techy yeah. level is just. It's so much. <laughs> yeah. And, and and it it does feel at some point you're like, just just tidy this up for me slightly. It is,
4: it is the literal opposite of organic web shooters, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Like, okay, look, we don't need five pieces of mad science to make this happen. We just say, spider, therefore he also makes webs.
2: But I'm sure if you talk to Ang Lee, he would say, right, okay, so the DNA stuff at the start is important because A, it has to be his dad, and then B animals we like he he talks about like wanting to start specifically this bit um wanting to get like his dad being interested in animals and their kind of evolution and getting back to the idea of cells having kind of um, emotions or memory of their own Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's where he starts off and then uh, he didn't dig into the rest but i'm sure he would have similar reasons for and this is why it needs to be uh nanomeds and then this I is- I
4: would put money actually the nanomeds is the thing that he couldn't take out that it's the sort of thing that you lose an argument with a producer about and go, fine, because it's just a plastic bag for two shots. What difference does it make? <laughs> do you know what? I, I don't know that. because the word because... nano,
3: that means science, right? Science. Yeah,
4: it means... And, you, like, there's never even that thing people do with nanotechnology, which is show you the super close-up of yeah. the nano things. <laughs> it's only empty, ever an empty seeming plastic bag. container. <laughs>
3: there's a bag full of science with a biohazard logo on.
4: But I think you're right. I think... I think you're right that there is a thing about if you have an interest in an affinity with a delight in a certain kind of body horror and I, by the way I think the Fantastic Four movie is pitifully bad at trying to do the body horror thing it's trying to do but if you're into it, because my, maybe my favourite scene in this is Nick Nolte turning
2: into the Absorbing Man. Oh, it's great. That's <laughs> I think that might be the best effect scene in the movie.
4: It's one of the most haunting images when his hand goes through the metal because it's part of the metal now. The blue metal thing. It's the most haunting. Because my first thought is, Jesus, what if you can never get your hand out?
2: And it has this kind of scrapey sound. Oh, it's beautifully... The audio on it is amazing. Mm. I I think on a technical level, this movie is fantastic. There's a lot of great stuff going on. The editing's great. The sound design's great. Yeah. yeah. I don't don't disagree
3: with any of that. (laughs) What I I do question is whether it succeeds as a piece of storytelling.
4: (laughs) I think the storytelling's quite clean and efficient it's whether you're engaged in it or not and if it doesn't get you if it doesn't if it doesn't hold you and that first 40 minutes is very like the comparison to batman begins is not unreasonable for the straightforward reason (laughs) that batman isn't in batman begins for half of batman
3: Begins. god don't just don't get me started
4: i know i know i know and the thing is i love batman begins so we can't you know but so it's it's whether you think like the warm up to the psychology of what we're going to be dealing with is worth it, but I would I would still say if you take if you take from his capture to uh, and, and placement in the desert to the point where he's collected again in San Francisco and there's that amazing single shot, or two shots actually, of him transforming all the way back down and all the water coming off him on the San Francisco street as he drops to his knees. And he's... Both times when it, we we watch him tra- de-transform that way, he's like a, a newborn foal. Like his his knees become weak and his yeah. body's always wet. But if you take that one section... I think that's a very good Hulk movie. It's whether or not the bonkers stuff at the far end and the the wannabe drama stuff at the front end make that middle work for you.
3: I agree, and I think <laughs> I think it doesn't.
4: Yeah, but but if I handed you that middle, would would there be a possibility that you went, oh, I'd quite like to see the front end of this because the middle of this is looking quite interesting? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it's almost working. I'm getting
2: there. <laughs> right, thirty five minutes ago, conservatively, I said we were going to say what we thought of Thunderbolt Ross as, <laughs> oh, yes. as a performance. Uh, so I love I, this version. I I, I I love it too. This is and the I best version. Right. Yes. It's, if um, if we can get J.K. Simmons back after all this time. Yeah, it is the J. Jonah Jameson of this casting, isn't it? Hundred percent. He's he's. Perfect, and and get this right: Sam Elliott didn't want to have a mustache in this movie. God, oh my God,
3: damn it! <laughs> of all and, the movies, yeah, well, yeah,
2: but for, for perfectly legitimate reasons, he was like, he's a military man. Military men do not wear mustaches.
5: Oh,
2: and and Ang Lee was like, uh, then about does. Yeah, yeah and fun- blokes
4: don't turn green. You're
2: yeah. gonna. Have to get <laughs> And so he says, uh, so basically what they, um, what they landed out on was obviously Sam Elliott has sported many a mustache over his years. Um, and where they agreed to kind of, uh, compromise was that it would be a very straight cut across the top yes. of his lip mustache. It's, it's almost, it's like quite severe in how like 180 degrees it is across his, across his upper lip. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's, that's where they, uh, that's where they agreed. But I, uh, there is, for me, the thing that William Hurt does not have in in the MCU movies. Well, I mean, for, you know, I think the the only one that really matters is the Incredible Hulk. But what what he what he doesn't have there is that kind of that warmth and that that I don't that know. that that kind of knowing knowing that he actually does care about Betty and that like that is as much as anything that is his primary concern mm. or and 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 i like that his arc throughout this movie is kind of is kind of having that moment in in his past where he abandoned his child and getting to the point in the present day where that where she is yeah the priority as much as anything else
4: also just the gorgeous psychology of i watched that father kill or at least I was there when that father killed his wife and now I'm watching that father's son with my daughter. Mm, Like the clean line psychology of that. Like he he is so formidable in this movie. That's the thing I don't think Hurt ever felt formidable. He felt like a guy doing an impression of what formidable would be like. (laughs) Whereas Sam Elliott, he's indomitable. He's actually Hulk-like in his, he's like a rock it's completely impervious. You cannot get through.
3: See, that's that's sort of the thing I like about Sam Elliott's performance is that it's kind of exaggerated and a, yeah. a tiny bit cartoonish in the same way that J.K. Simmons is in... in yes, yeah. Spider-Man films. Like, they just feel of a piece together.
2: Yeah, I watched... Um, I, th- <laughs> I think a lot of this, for me as well, is that... Um, i don't really like william hurt as an actor and i'm not I, I, i've oh, certainly, interesting i've certain i've certainly not seen a lot of his movies but the ones that i have seen i kind of often come out out of going Huh, hey, not 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 sure about you uh whereas sam elliott is that guy who in just about anything i watched um the contender recently which was oh, yeah. a, a couple of years before this and um it uh, it get It's a movie that has aged very interestingly. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, I mean, li- I mean, lit- uh, very interestingly. I would say anyone that's followed kind of uh, American politics and gender in the past five years should go back and revisit that movie. It's oh. not it, not that it's great, but it's kind of um, oddly very prescient and shows how little progress we actually have made in those. 20 years uh but yeah he's he's um he's in that as kind of this um kind of kind of a like ross status level role um he's fantastic in that but i just he always is Um, he's in um, in
3: ghost rider he turns up in basically two scenes in ghost rider as the caretaker
2: oh
4: yes easy it's comfortably the
3: best part of the entire film when oh, Sam Elliott oh. delivers some exposition, then does a ghost ride on a horse and then disappears. Oh. There is
4: something very interesting about the fact that that Hurt is in thi- the- it th- comes across less severe, comes across less strong and rugged and uh, you know tough and whatever, but doesn't seem at all warm. And yet Sam Elliott is so much harder and sterner,
2: and yet is definitely. Warm somehow within that. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, I didn't. <laughs> the, one of the things that I struggled with was the first time around. um I didn't really get in that opening sequence that that was Ross, and I know it says oh. it on his jacket. But I just didn't. I was I was listening to what he was saying rather than reading what was on his shirt, and it was only it was only like halfway through the movie that I clicked and I was like oh I right. yeah, okay. oh so they actually weren't yeah okay.
4: it's very Makes... hard to cast a young version of I actually quite like the casting of the two younger versions of those men but it's quite hard <laughs> yeah. to do yeah well um... that's
3: the that's one of the things that reminded me of Superman which is that
5: oh
4: they show yeah. you
3: like you spend the first well I don't know 10-15 minutes of the movie like with actors who aren't in the rest of it yeah and yeah and I was like where are the characters I watch this film for
4: <laughs> and they turn
3: up sort of later on.
4: Here's another one that of the, I realise I just keep going, here's another one of those scenes that isn't actually put together properly. <laughs> but here, here is another one of those. When we get finally to the truth that, that Banner's father stabbed his mother, yep. literally nobody in the audience thinks anything other than that's what happened. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like... It's played out as this reveal. And I get that it's Bruce realising it, although it's not. It's Betty being told it while <laughs> Bruce realises it independently in a tank. But it's, it's so it's so almost right. It's so frustrating. It's the right time for it to happen. But the the, the reveal of it, I think as an audience, you go, oh, do they, do they think they've told us something new? Because well, so- I assumed he killed the mother.
2: So I think that scene is telling us something new, and it gets lost because of that. Now the thing, the thing that the mo- that that what it is telling us is that is basically it's Nick Nolte's interior journey up to that point. So he tested on himself yeah, because yeah. he wanted not not because he was like sacrificing himself, was because he wanted to have the benefits of this experiment through whatever fucked up <laughs> DNA mm-hmm. stuff, it ends up going on to his son. So he then goes, right, okay, I didn't... I wanted this to happen to me. I didn't want to curse my son. Um, I need to cure him. And so he's frantically searching for a cure. And that's, and that's when General Ross says, no, you can't do that anymore. You have to stop. Mm-hmm. Effectively damning his son. And so, and it's at that <laughs> point... It's at that point that he snaps, and that's what I said about like kind of there is a point at which that character has some love and affection for his son, Mm. but it's it's in the first three minutes of the movie, and (laughs) it happens way too early. Yeah, so so that's when he goes home and he makes the decision. I would rather kill my son, yes. than him stay with this inside him for the rest yeah. of his life. And that's the that's the information that that scene gets across. Yes, it's that the but mother agree, died
4: it, trying to save Bruce. Yeah, and, and that's and the so, bit that doesn't quite come up over. So,
2: A, his mom tried to sacrifice herself for him, which yeah. which is uh, which is something that is hugely important emotionally for. Yeah. Bruce, but that B, that is the moment of kind of snapping into supervillain for the father. Yes. And then when he fails, like, he's already, he's already at that point completely detached emotionally from his son. So when he resurfaces 30 years later, it, yeah. it doesn't matter that he's his son anymore. All that matters is, oh, hang on, you've still got this thing yeah. and I, and yeah. I still want it. In terms but of, it, like it's lost in the execution no it
4: does you're absolutely right it's that my mother died to save me and that's not the thing there is a line of dialogue about it when we come back
2: out of all of that as well but it's 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 so lost in the mix but it's it's a crucial moment for the two characters who are going to ultimately be the final confrontation in this yeah. film
4: yeah and, i mean
2: in terms of yeah. in terms of
4: quality of filmmaking though when they go behind that door the screaming that happens behind that door, (laughs) is some of the most unsettling screaming I've ever heard committed to film. (laughs) Like, it's it's genuine... Again, we're into a horror movie, but it's a horror movie behind there, and whatever your brain puts in there, I'm starting to feel like Bruce's trauma.
2: (laughs) It's really effective. It's horrible, but it's incredibly effective. And the horror movie stuff. So again, James, I think this is probably... So Ang Lee was talking about how he kind of wanted to track the broad strokes of how Hulk had been viewed in the comics. So he wanted it to kind of start off as a horror movie and he wanted it to start off as more Frankenstein. Mm-hmm. Um and and kind of, you know, go along the arc of what Hulk had represented in comics as he gets further in. Um and I think that, that I, I do think in that first in that first half of the movie it effectively gets that, and I love the Danny Elfman score. Yes, which yes, which is uh, apparently directly Bernard Herman influenced. It wanted to be oh. kind of Hitchcock in San Francisco, um, oh, but yeah. like, but like more, more horror-y vibe Hitchcock.
3: I definitely um, picked that up. I, w- I was sitting there going, "Like, why is this scored like a Hitchcock film?" <laughs> which but, is interesting. But-
2: but also because it's Danny Elfman f- still feels superhero-y enough, I think. I think it's a great score. I love it. Yeah, it's very It's a good. unique
3: score, yeah. <laughs> I don't love it. Do Generally, it's bad. It's rare that I, I, reckon, I notice scores on film. So the fact that I picked it up at all suggests that it's good.
4: Okay. <laughs> we'll take that. We'll take that.
2: <laughs> um, one element of this movie that we've not discussed at all. Um, and I, I, I personally think, for good reason so far, is uh, the Josh Lucas of it all.
3: Oh, <laughs> um, I was about to say, you're going to say Glenn Talbot.
2: <laughs> is that who he is? Yeah. Is, so is he? Uh, is he a comic book character? James?
3: In, in the comics, Glenn Talbot is like a low-ranking uh, general slash lieutenant. Maybe I don't know. He's some sort of. Oh, is he?
2: Is he an Agents of Shield character?
3: He, yeah, he was played by what's his face from Heroes and Agents of Shield. Yes. Yes. Yeah.
2: Uh, Adrian Pazdar. Yeah.
3: yeah. He's like a. He's a mid-ranking Where's military all officer.
2: <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. Sorry, who is? On. Who I, is
3: an antagonist? Um and in this he turns up and he's nothing like the character and he's just a dickhead.
5: Mm. I do, I
4: do like how the minute he shows up it's like oh there's a douchebag waiting in reception. Yeah. <laughs> like it's you you're never uncertain of what we're doing he with
3: is, that guy. he's a bit 80s villain because he turns up and he starts going on about how you geeks don't know what you've got on your hands like you want to stay poor all the time.
4: Right. Well, now we're into why I like it because it's clearly a Cobra Kai, Karate Kid kind of a thing, <laughs> yeah.
2: and this is my just, milieu. I'm happy. He's a he's a villain, but a, a villain that's coded as he is not actually a threat, and he will get his comeuppance, and it will happen well before the end of the movie. Because yeah, as I, I, he kind of feels like a shit version of what um what Sam Rockwell does in Iron Man Two.
3: Yeah, I feel like he should be he should end the film by being bundled into a police car while he rants about how like someone else is the real villain.
4: I do like that they just they put him in a plaster cast on a neck brace though. I'm quite on board with like that level of like that that's so clearly yeah. I know exactly visually what we're doing with this guy. <laughs> him hobbling over they they have to speed up the shot of him hobbling over to drill into Hulk's neck. because he can't hobble fast enough to do
2: the pan with him and it not be boring yeah i like that moment where hulk's face literally kind of bulges
4: yeah that's the thing actually this has got the the incredible growing hulk right this is where the more angry and upset he is the bigger he is
2: because in that first sequence he is less he he can fit within the corridor absolutely yeah his elbows Um, brush along the edge and you see him after that first fight with Talbot in Banner's house when he walks out onto the street, he kind of bursts out of more of his clothes and dr- yes. grows a couple of feet. I liked that. I, I did like that. Him. I probably. remember
4: Empire printing a size chart when they did the behind the scenes <laughs> piece for the movie.
2: <laughs> of like,
4: he's going to be different sizes all the way through up until the finale. But Talbot, I don't mind yeah. That. I... I feel like that's quite an interesting. Yeah. I'm... There's not a lot you can do with it. He's bigger, he's smaller. But. It it feels appropriate to the metaphor they're trying to trying to wield.
2: Hm. Yeah, absolutely. And I th- and I, I, I and again, I think it is like it's that anxiety growing rather than the anger. So yes. yeah. when he when he bursts out of the house, it's because he he knows that. I mean, Talbot's not the reason he's just hulked out. He's just again the catalyst. The reason is he needs to go and save Betty. Yeah. Yeah and so, and that's when it that's when it grows is when he goes right I need to go and stop these dogs <laughs> even that that again
4: going back to just the hulkiness of it there's a very clear thing of betty in trouble must go there yeah it, it reconciles the superhero-y stuff maybe a little better than i'd realized at least in like individual fragments
2: i we're not succeeding if you are appreciating it more and James isn't. I know. I, know. I, think, <laughs>
4: I, d- I look, think
3: we're not succeeding Tinkin- if we realise this stuff in retrospect. If we go, actually, or oh, maybe that team did did make Hulk a superhero. You didn't feel I, it at I, the time, though, right?
4: <laughs> well, the thing is, there's a thing with emotion. Just because you felt it doesn't mean you're articulating it in the moment. They're that's always a bit retrospective those the, when you when you leave a relationship and you start to look at when exactly re- you stopped falling in love you don't really notice that at the time and articulate it it's okay to have only emotional responses to art
3: yeah, I just, I think if, if it had pushed the right buttons, you would have felt it properly at the time, rather than sort of intellectualising it afterwards.
4: I, no, 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 but I th- I think my thing is I do feel, which is why I like the movie, is I feel like I got a superhero-y Hulk from it. I just didn't realise that I'd, like, was looking at specific fragments of that. Because mm-hmm. I like the dog scene, and if you ask me why I like the dog scene, it's like the think-through of it and the blah, blah, blah. But actually, it must be also, yeah, because there's this... It's that King Kong quality. I talked about it earlier without enunciating it. I like that he picks her up and feeds her into the car to try and protect her.
2: And also in the Hulk scene, you get to see his bum at the end. <laughs> oh yeah, which is a way. Yeah, I mean <laughs> that scene was going to be Hulk naked for the entirety of it. <laughs> this is the, this is
4: one way or another. This has been a movie I've rewatched. I mean, there are definitely MCU movies I've watched with less frequency than this. Because there's something about it I really, really dig, um, and it's quite nice. It's quite nice to talk to somebody who doesn't like it, because obviously the world doesn't like it. <laughs> like it's not, it's not well regarded. It's not well remembered. It's not much talked about anymore. It's certainly not much of an influence on anything. I think everybody said at the time, okay, but maybe the editing will be the thing that the that is the influence that this movie leaves, and. In fact, the closest thing you have to that is stuff Edgar Wright gets to do. I was about to say
3: Scott Pilgrim is the only one that comes uh, close.
4: Scott Pilgrim is the one, and Scott Pilgrim didn't make any money either. (laughs) Um, And in fact, there's a a definite argument that this Hulk gives you a sort of idea of what Edgar doing Ant-Man would have been like. At least, in as much as like, oh yeah, there's there's a reason Marvel won't tolerate that kind of shenanigan. <laughs> it's because it's 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 a Brechtian alienation device, or you know whatever.
5: <laughs>
4: it. I feel bad for Scott Pilgrim because it's a very good movie that nobody went to see. Yeah. Um, but there's there's definitely an argument of like too much of a clever
2: thing. Uh, That's 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 where I have got to with Edgar Wright as his career has progressed. (laughs) I mean, like to to the point where we got to the world's end, and I was like, I get it. You foreshadowed all of this. Yes, (laughs) it it wasn't interesting when you foreshadowed it, and it's not interesting now. (laughs) Oh, it's
4: it's a whole other podcast. But it's like they they aren't jokes. If I only know their jokes the second time round. <laughs> that I only because because what you what's really the 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 foreshadowing are jokes. Once you know what the ending is, once you know there are payoffs to all of this, the first time it happens is really funny, which gives you
2: a rewatch value.
4: <laughs> but I don't want to rewatch it because there didn't seem to be many jokes the first
2: time. And and, and we get back to why uh <laughs> why this movie doesn't have a rewatch quality for James. But it does for it does yes. for you, <laughs> yes. Which is just it's just that initial emotional reaction. It and is. I, got, I, I completely understand it because, like I say, I kind of feel like I'm I'm right in the middle where I don't know whether it was just I'd been teed up by hearing some of the the kind of critical reassessment because it is out there um, mm. that this is actually a good movie and you know it was made by Ang Lee and if and if the vast majority of his other movies are good. Yes he probably D- didn't just do this one for the paycheck yeah yeah um, and so I was kind of teed up for looking for interesting stuff in it um, but I, I I reckon if I'd have seen this you know 10 yeah. years ago I would have completely written it off
4: i I had such a good time with it right from the first go and that's the thing about those reactions isn't it if you if you really take to a thing if a thing is clearly made for you, you can add a star a star and a half to the review score. <laughs> or in and my likewise, case, you if...
3: can take one off.
4: Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I can't argue that that's unfair and or unreasonable.
2: You're wrong. but It's not <laughs> unfair or unreasonable. But I, I also think there is something there is something about how superhero movies have progressed and become not uniform because I don't I don't think they mm-hmm. are uniform. But there is there is something about what we are used to be having delivered through superhero movies yeah. now. 17 years on from this film. Oh, you only have to look at the origin of...
4: Like, the scene where Ultron gives birth is... uh, Or is given birth to... It's like one of those moments where you literally see the genre expand. And it just goes, oh, you know what? You just throw a load of stuff in a box and hit it with a magic hammer and you've got another one. <laughs> and it's kind of fine. Nobody balks at it. Nobody goes, wait, wait a minute, what? Now that is the, is, the, is the growth of the genre that Ang Lee didn't have at his disposal. So ended up doing, oh God, am I going to have to explain the green colour and the fact that it's really self-healing and that it, it's bulletproof and all of this kind of stuff and actually you didn't have to do as much explaining as you actually did do, but there was a thing of like, we are obliged to make this all track and eventually we just went ah, comic book movies, it's kind of fine everyone's okay because the outcome's worth it
2: Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I, 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 but I just I don't know, I look, I, I look at this movie and I go, it's what superhero movies have become? Not not even that they've just aged it badly, but they've made audiences even less likely. superhero audiences even less likely to go back and visit this and get something out of it. Yeah, because it, it's not it's not conforming to anything that we expect from superhero movies. Uh, much more so now, even than back then, and I I also kind of think it's it's interesting that we within. Kind of discussions about superhero films. There are lots of people who say, uh, like fans of the genre, jo- and you know, you sit, you hear, like, you know, it was this, it was the selling point for DC at one at one stage, wasn't it? That this is the the filmmakers get to come in and make films at DC, and oh, yeah. um, and Marvel, it's just it's just any old director, and you know, it just churned out. Yeah, they um,
4: value storytelling. We can talk about that,
2: <laughs> but I do, <laughs> you, but I, I do think you get obviously you know the zack snyder movies feel like zack snyder movies um yeah i i think that you can probably it's less than half of the marvel movies i would say that feel distinctly
4: oh and as someone who doesn't buy into auteur theory particularly i quite i'm quite happy for these to parallel coexist you know, yeah. it's, it's quite lovely to go. Yeah, go on. You know, you give me your massively weird take. Meanwhile, I'll let the the writing department be in charge of some movies as well because I quite like
2: writing. Mm-hmm. But I, I kind of, I think the people who would say we want more director-driven yeah. Yeah. superhero movies, I think what they mean is not Hulk. And I think <laughs> if you if you actually if you actually gave it to filmmakers and gave them the amount of scope that Angley got here. You would have a lot more movies like Hulk that audiences would completely reject.
4: Oh, t- <laughs> yeah. Well, that's that's the danger of the high wire act, isn't it? Is more how often
3: ponderous superhero films. <laughs> I
5: mean,
2: we were talking off off uh, off Mike about um, about Star Trek and and Bond and all, all sorts of franchises, and th- th- those are the ones that like what's well, to, it to andrews to get to, to get back to your kickstarter oh yeah bond is, bond is a franchise that everyone's like christopher nolan one day surely and they go no that not no that they're, they're not going to give it to christopher nolan
4: imagine a bond movie full of flashbacks it would <laughs> feel <laughs> immediately unusual it would you, you, part of your fight or flight response
2: would kick in and go what the hell's this and i i just I cannot believe that they will ever make the Quentin Tarantino Star Trek movie because no. that's not a thing that you do. Because it won't, like, it, it' not at that budget level. It just doesn't. It doesn't happen. And i i i i don't know who is the closest to getting the amount of leash that Ang Lee got on Hulk, but it hasn't happened for a long, long time.
4: Now, I mean, you're you're, you're into your Zack Snyder's, aren't you? I mean, that's where it's. I think that's the closest.
3: Yeah, Yeah. look how well that worked out for DC. So I imagine probably not going to happen again, right? I mean, in fairness, Birds of Prey as well. Suicide Squad. Like, they gave these people... They gave them the chance to do their direct delay thing, and it has not paid off even slightly.
4: No, this is true.
2: But I don't... I don't think that those two are anywhere near as close to. I mean, like, I think David Ayer got that movie completely taken away from. Oh him, yeah, yeah, so yeah. Maybe, yeah, he, but... Maybe he yeah but I don't to. think the the movie they took away was a better movie. No, no, no. <laughs> like, I'm, I am, I am intrigued by the Snyder Cut. I have no doubt that yeah. I will not like it, but I'm intrigued by it because Zack Snyder is, for for all of his faults, a weird and interesting filmmaker. Um I don't tend to like his movies, but I am interested by them. Yeah. Um n- no interest in ever seeing the A Cut. No, <laughs> no thank you. No. No. Be- because because Actually, rest- you know what? Just- it's
4: gonna be James Gunn's
2: next suicide squad, isn't it? That's the one that's gonna yeah. feel like a James Gunn movie. Mm-hmm. But I kinda again I kind of feel like within the within the restrictions now that didn't exist Wrangley. Just, oh certainly. Just, oh certainly.
4: Yeah. yeah. But the nice thing is he's already he what he's essentially going to do is give you what if guardians but nasty. Um yeah. there's going to be yeah. a Which definite like. It doesn't
3: sound appealing. And it sounds I like no we're going to get
4: what I think of it honestly from the stuff we've seen so far I I left I must be the only person who left
2: with no opinion. And it it sounds like um we're going to get a link back to this Hulk movie and that the villain is going to be starfish fiend. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I can't remember what it was. It was some Starro, Starro who is yeah. an in, intelligent yeah. a, alien life form res, resembling a giant starfish, yeah. um, who uses spores to con- to control people. Um, and I, I think that actually might be Taika Waititi. You know, uh. <laughs> I, th- I think everyone's assuming that Waititi is ah the shortcut um... to likability. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there you go. So that. Uh, there we go. We've we've linked back the new Suicide Suicide Squad movie in a couple of ways to Hulk.
4: There we go. We've proven that the cut that the 2003 Hulk movie is contemporarily relevant. <laughs> I promise.
3: And we have finally okay. talked about everyone in the cast now. I think.
2: Yes. No. I, and and I and I I think we've talked about Hulk nearly enough. I think we should just probably round up some final thoughts. Um, I will say that I enjoyed a brief cameo from Daniel Day Kim. <laughs> Wow. Um, oh, yeah who who goes on to be gin and lost uh shortly after this and can i just say when he has been popping up in stuff recently and that dude is aging like a fine wine <laughs> he's he is so handsome uh so that's that's uh my little lusting after actors corner of this of this podcast um you uh,
4: know uh,
3: uh, hanging out with yes. Stanley.
4: yeah yeah doing his stanley yeah yeah I like it because um, they they made
2: sure he was in a uniform that really showed you his shape. Right. <laughs> Good for and them. Appar- Quite right. Apparently, through. that was completely improvised by Stanley. That Ang Lee just went, just just walk and talk to him. Just just be talking like two guys, and and that that's what Stanley did. <laughs> Do you know what? I would I would almost believe it, except that he
4: gets Bruce Banner's current name correct. Oh, the he calls Dantzler. him Doctor Krenzler.
2: Oh, Transler, yeah.
4: Which, <laughs> like... Dan, Dan- do was believe uh... he, he paid a huge attention to the script. I think that was written for it. <laughs> <laughs> At
3: the best of times, Stan Lee can't get his character's names correct, so, yeah. <laughs> Probably fair. Maybe he,
4: ju- maybe he just took a guess and they, they failed to pick <laughs> the <laughs> rest of the film around what he came up with.
3: <laughs> they were like, we can't get Stan Lee to do it again, so we're going to have to reshoot this bit of the film.
2: <laughs> doesn't Farino Fer- doesn't play... A security guard at Berkeley in he does yeah the... in incredible
4: uh, yeah.
2: yeah I th- ah! I think they're all of a piece more evidence I mean, of you know, this character goes on to become Professor Hulk and you can't you can't persuade me otherwise <laughs> fair enough no
4: I'll allow it I'm totally up for that phase, I, phase zero.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, one of my other f- favorite moments in the movie was um, Hulk literally biting off the warhead from a missile. Oh, isn't that and- great? And spitting it out a plane. I
4: loved it. <laughs> he's having some real fun in that. I love him rolling up a sleeve he doesn't have
2: <laughs> when he's fighting the tanks. That's my favorite action scene. Is the is the one out in the desert? Yeah, that uh, stuff because- is. I
4: I think Marvel should be downright Marvel Cinematic should be downright jealous of some of the Hulk stuff that's going on in this movie, in that middle section.
2: And it's, uh, for me, like I say, I don't love the dogs. Uh, agree with James. Can't see the action sequence at the end properly. Um, so, yeah. definite, definite big win for uh, fighting the planes. Yes, absolutely.
3: That is classic Hulk business as well. Like, punching, yeah. some, punching some military gear. Very good. Happy with that. Doesn't do <laughs> so much of that in the MCU.
4: No, um, no.
2: And
3: then, at the end of that
2: sequence, comes a moment that is going to be completely ripped off by Iron Man. Also, five years later, where the where the plane flies super super high, and then yes, mm-hmm, we we frost over. Hulk, Hulk starts to freeze and then drops, and that's what Iron Man does. Uh, what, what a on the test flight, and then B when he's fighting um, Obadiah.
4: Mm-hmm. Yes.
2: Listen, Ang-, Ang-, Ang Lee really was phase zero of the MCU. <laughs> You've got that dead on, James.
4: <laughs> and cool, we, didn't, every- we didn't do the joke about his name once,
2: which I think shows admirable restraint. <laughs> <laughs> which uh, was, was all that anyone could talk about at the time. I know, <laughs> it
3: was on every bloody pull quote. Ugh. Stuart Lee really had the last yeah. word on that one, I think.
2: Yeah, that's true. He's driven
4: that all the way in. Yeah.
3: Do we like, by the way, do we like the the you wouldn't
4: like me when I'm angry ending?
2: I, I, sorry, I'm just aware. I think when you said name, I was thinking Banner Banner, but you were talking about Angly Angry, yes. weren't you? I was. <laughs> I was as well. Both of them remarkable. <laughs>
4: yes, a lot. There's a lot <laughs> dropping into place right there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, what do we think about? Because I, I, I know it's the TV show, but him off in South America doing good and subtitling his catchphrase worked as a nice little sign off for me.
2: I I'll be honest, I didn't care at that point.
3: Oh. <laughs> I think it's
2: just me that's gonna love this
4: movie. It's, i it's don't bold care. of
3: the movie to save it's one joke to the very last second. <gasps> he spit out a warhead <laughs>
2: <laughs>
3: Not all the jokes just and
2: dialogue. All of the interesting stuff had wrapped up and then the movie continued for a couple more scenes. <laughs> oh
4: that's fine. It's, it's, you know what? I don't mind. I don't mind being the only one with this movie. If there's listen, by the way, if there's anyone listening to this who's on Twitter and is with me on this movie, come and tell me. I'll feel so reassured.
2: <laughs> I'm I am half with you. Yeah. But I just again, I want to re- I want to read a book interpreting this movie more than I want to watch it again.
4: Well, you want to watch his commentary, which I totally understand In fact, I, I would do a commentary of this There's another one for Kickstarter I'll do a commentary <laughs> over this movie Somebody actually I've, I've already promised my editor that at some point we will, We'll do the the essay Analysis essay On Short Circuit 2 Which as you know wow. is a particular thing Of mine So We'll just add this Holt, to the list Do Hulk first I've got, it's great, I love this collection of movies that everyone dislikes that I'm determined to redeem. Quantum of Solace, Hulk, Short Circuit 2. I mean,
3: I liked Short, Short Circuit 2 when I was a child. I've not dared watch oh. it since.
4: Yeah, well, there's, there's one very specific thing that make it very hard to watch.
3: In, like the, what's it, the oh, guy who's he right? Yeah.
4: yeah yeah fisher stevens it's is very fisher much stevens, not, stevens, yes. not, not of a descent that is appropriate to the part he is playing
3: it was a different time a different time it was the oh yeah 1980s
4: yeah <laughs> yeah nobody Fish... knew it was wrong is the argument <laughs> right? <it>? nobody knew <laughs> i mean it might be only white people didn't know and that was <laughs> enough that was the thing yeah Oh, I've, I've segued us quite appallingly. I apologize. Uh, well, for that.
3: traditionally, when we start talking about other movies, that's when we know we've hit the end of this one. So y- yes, probably yes.
2: this is. I, I think we have we have well and truly talked Hulk. Talk. I enjoyed it. I really enjoyed we it. smashed. Well, talk. that's good. <laughs> okay, so um, Andrew, thank you for joining us for our uh, for our Hulk chat.
4: Oh, it's been a pleasure.
2: Where can our listeners find you online, and where can they find out more about funding your Quantum of Solace oh, Kickstarter? Uh,
4: so I'm Lardent on Twitter, E-double-L-A-R-D-Lard, and then E-N-T at the end, Lardent. Um Which
2: is which is how everyone reads it.
4: Yeah, everyone reads it as Lard Entertainment, whereas it's supposed to be Ardent, but with a little more Lard. But whatever i'm fine listen it'll do it's
2: like it's like hulk you won't get it when you first look at it when you think about it it (laughs) yeah it's, it's got layers it's got real layers like an
4: onion um uh the kickstarter i mean go to kickstarter and put in it's it's video notes so it's spinning off from the tweet notes series that i do on twitter um so it's video notes uh for james bond Um, But obviously, I'll be linking to it on my Twitter, and I'll be linking to it from andrewellard.com, my website. We will link to it from
3: the Cineverse Twitter.
2: Oh, you diamond geezers. (laughs) 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 Well, brilliant, Andrew. Thank you for joining us. Um, And listeners, if you enjoyed this episode, then you can find out more and subscribe on Acast, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Player FM, Overcast, Google, Stitcher, or your podcast app of choice. Uh, You can find out... Uh, more about everything we do at cinematicuniverse.com you can find merch um, at cinematicu.redbubble.com and you can get in touch with us on twitter at cine underscore verse or send us an email at podcast sorry to podcast at cinematicuniverse.com you can also find us on patreon if you want to back us further thank you very much for listening and we will see you again in a couple of weeks
4: bye goodbye (laughs)